Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And guys, you probably know by now we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Is this it? Is this going to be the end of the saga? I don't know. Is the real answer? It's yeah, really. We don't know. No, we let's tell people what happened in case you know it, 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 we can use this. You got here way too early. Uh, it's I got here at six forty a.m. West Coast time because we are set to do the last part of the saga with Dane Fife. In theory, at seven a.m. West Coast time, ten a.m. Dane Fife time, which apparently is also three p.m. Dane Fife time. Yeah, 3 p.m. Eastern time is what he was thinking. So we text Dane, we're ready. No response. 7.05. Text again, 7.15. Nothing. Then 7.25, I text him and I say, okay, so now you're just screwing with us. And the response we get back is, huh? Question mark. We get on the phone with him quickly. He tells us he thought it was 3 p.m. Nowhere in any conversation or text chain did the number 3 even get used he just pulled it out of thin air thin air so we hopped on the phone with him and he was in the middle of packing yeah with his wife yelling at him to get in the car because they're driving to kokomo for christmas yeah yeah no you'll hear some of the audio from that it's pretty good so he told us he's going to call us back in five minutes which neither one of us believes no no you gave him a little wiggle room which i was like do you really want to do that you're like oh we'll be here like what am i gonna do say well you know, yeah, okay, five minutes is great. We'll call you back at 7.45. Yeah, it's, so that, the goal is you're getting part two of the saga. This is, and this is, this is part two of part two. Well, this is our fourth time getting on the phone time. with him. Right, so part two of part two. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He is amazing to talk to, though. He's so much fun. And this is the kind of content you get when you are powered by
Yes, a musical accompaniment from our man Ward Roberts. The table was far enough back I had access to the keys. That was awesome. I came in completely in the wrong key, but we found each other. If anybody's in the wrong key, it's me. Who's your hysterics? Who's your hysterics? All right, so Jared Jeffries, McDonald's High School All-American, one of the biggest recruits in the country, has committed to Bob Knight. Bob Knight is now not the coach of Indiana. Mike Davis is. Jared Jeffries is sticking around. The whole team is sticking around. You also welcome A.J. Moye. You also welcome two other guys, one that gets really not talked about at all because he didn't stay his whole time there, Andre Owens, but also current assistant coach for Indiana, Mike Roberts, joins the fray. So if you could, just real quickly, give us your first impressions of Jared when he came on campus, and we'll just kind of go through the the list there. But what was your take on Jared? Well, I'd known Jared since he was, um, must have been like sophomore in high school, and I just, I didn't know he was as good as he was. You know, he was happy-go-lucky kid, funny. Uh, I didn't know he was as good as he was. And the thing you don't know are the intangibles like the dude is just he knows the game he does everything to help you win that doesn't appear on a stat line and i just he was uh you know he was pretty much from nashville indiana although his address said bloomington um he was he was a he was a for all intents and purposes a country bumpkin i mean he was a hunter he was a fisher um he was really blue collar uh mom and dad were were awesome little brother, uh, just just a neat family. But the guy just kept growing and growing and growing. And by the time he got to us, I think he was six eleven and long, long as heck. And he just didn't know what a winner he was, what what impact he had on the game aside from you know the statistical stuff. So out of the gate, we butted heads. He was a competitor. I was a competitor. Uh, he was going to learn the ropes. He wasn't going to teach me the ropes. And, um, you know, there was always that edge uh, between the two of us. But I think there was that respect, too, that in the end, we both knew that, you know, each guy was was uh, trying to win and and be a t- be a great teammate. And uh, but I butted heads with everybody. So uh, it wasn't out of the ordinary. It's like a but rite of passage. A, yeah, but I had a, a, a firm, etched in stone respect for JJ. JJ played hard, played the right way, played to win, and you know he knew what Indiana basketball was all about. Now Jeff Newton, on the other hand, different story. Newton didn't play hard. Hold on, got to turn my alarm off, boys. Sorry. Up. Oh. All right. So Newton I think, didn't. I, play I think hard. we now know your code, though. So that's, that's good. That's right. Yep. That's right. And it took him some time. And so we didn't really butt heads, but when he was on my team, we butted heads because he needed to understand how to win. And now he does. Yeah. Not because of me, but because of good choices he made. Walk us Oop, through AJ. A- What's your dog's name? Daisy. Yes, sir. Daisy. Daisy. What kind yeah, of dog that's... is Daisy? Uh, she's a miniature pincher, and um, I'm surprised she's still upright. She's 15. <laughs> wow. <laughs> my wife, Blair, and I got her uh, in my second year as a graduate assistant at Indiana. Nice. And we got her from Delilah's, which is now nothing, I think. I think it burnt down unless they reopened it. But um, 
she's uh, she's hung in there. She's uh, she believes in using the restroom inside our house as opposed to out in the yard. Oh, I boy. think is what normal dogs do. But she's fifteen; she can do whatever she wants. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a All good right. point. So AJ Moye, first impressions of AJ. Uh, looks like a bulldog. Yeah. Like the American bulldog. First impression was like, all right, this guy looks really tough. I'm not going to mess with him. <laughs> and then he talks and he's got a high pitched voice and no, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> but, but he is as warm and kind and gentle as can be. And I think that looks are very deceiving in AJ's case, although it played to his advantage um, as it related to dealing with the other team. And, you know, he understood that. He's a very, very, and very intelligent person. Um, and, he, and he used that, that rugged bulldog pit bull look to his advantage. But I think reality was that A.J. was a pretty – not soft, but a pretty nice guy that didn't want to hurt anybody. Didn't want to, you know, get that that face, that nose busted. <laughs> Good competitor. Um, you know, he, I remember AJ's freshman year, and I'd never seen anything like it. Coach Davis told him he wasn't allowed to shoot a three. <laughs> <laughs> and it made AJ so mad the whole year. And his shot was broke, but I'm like, dude. I understand he needs to take better shots, but coach, you can't tell him that he's not allowed to shoot a shot. I mean, there's, I guess, because he just one night blurted it out. He's, or one day in prayer, AJ, hey, Moy, you ain't allowed to shoot another three. No more. <laughs> and I think he gave him some, some, you know, some goals to meet, you know, like until you can make, I don't know, you know, until you can get your percentage up to whatever percent he said or something. It was just funny, and, and A.J.'s look, you know, a, A.J.'s not a mean spirit. He wouldn't snap back. He, he's a nice guy, and it was just funny. And it, it, would, it went on all year, and, boy, what I tell you? You ain't allowed to shoot threes. What are you shooting threes for? And I think Coach Davis would do it sometimes just to amuse himself. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you what, A.J. worked at it, and he got better. And he got to a point where he was pretty good three point shooter. Yep. Well, how did you see uh, everything change under Coach Davis's regime? Like you were recruited and you start your career under Coach Knight, and now you have a completely different man in charge. How does that change your life on and off the court? Um, you know what. Coach Davis made it really clear that my, not not much was going to change. That is a very common misconception. Our offense clearly changed. And I think the main reason was that we had a bunch of morons that didn't know how to move without the ball very well. <laughs> I also think that Coach Knight doesn't get enough credit for his defensive under his defensive coaching. We were always in the game, at least when I was there, because of our defense, but more importantly, the preparation and the game plan. I think Coach Knight 
<clears throat> a lot of the motion. The motion offense was so you don't have to spend your time teaching morons like me to play without the ball because it is really hard. And you know, you kind of you don't roll the balls out there, but people figure out who the scorers are. Right. You know, AJ Guyton, Kirk Haston, the ball finds the scorers, and the role players if they want to play, are going to do their role. Because if they don't, the rest of the team knows. Coach Davis, I, I don't think he was really a motion guy. He was a sets-based guy, trio or two. And so I think all he did was, and Coach Knight would do this at times, but he'd been in the pro level and coached trio or two and wanted to put each player in the best position possible to to play to their strengths, which was Fife, be a good screener and a good defender. And we're going to try you at point until we get so disgusted that we are forced to play somebody else. I don't know. <laughs> it could be the manager. <laughs> but he made it really clear. Like, guys, look, everybody's here because of Coach Knight. Like, I'm not here to – to tell you otherwise, we all owe it to Coach Knight. Let's go play our asses off. The defense stayed the same. You know, we were all encouraged to speak our opinion on Coach Knight and make sure, you know, whether you were outspoken about it or not, Coach Davis was, you know, completely – you know, right where he should have been. I mean, under what circumstance is a head coach fired basically during the season that an assistant isn't named the interim? Right. And at that time, we were already rolling. We were into workouts. We were – school had started. I mean, Coach Davis was, to me, though – you know, it was a, it was a tough deal for everybody, but if you got a chance to coach one of the top five programs in the country, and to me, Coach Davis viewed it as a one year deal, and maybe if he got lucky, they might re-sign him to a multi year deal. But it was an interim deal, and we all were there to win games. Man, all in all, I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah, I would say it worked out. Tell us about Mike Roberts. Well, his middle name's Caldwell. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? That's just and, that's where you end it with your analysis of Mike Roberts. Just that. I mean, you, you, all that's all you need to know. <laughs> Full name: Michael Caldwell. <laughs> Roberts. <laughs> and and how does that middle name inform how he will be as an well, assistant coach can... at Indiana? Because we, we know about, you know, his playing career, he, it was not the most prolific uh, on the court. But now awful. he is... Just <laughs> awful. <laughs> I mean, I think it was Pat Knight's first recruit. And trust me, Pat Knight has a great eye for talent. I think he was looking at Mike to come in and be talented on the scout team. 
for four years and maybe five if I don't know if they needed a fifth fifth year out of a scout team member. But <laughs> our listeners want to know about those qualities that are going to make him a great assistant coach for Indiana University. Well, I think what's going to make him Mike Roberts great is that his middle name's Caldwell. True. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He's he's proud resident growing up of Eugene, Oregon, and Terre Haute, Indiana. Yep. Maybe one of the only that can say that. Um, He's had his buzz cut since he came out of the womb. And I don't think he's ever gotten a haircut. It's never changed. It's Lego hair. You just take it off and yes. put it back on. Yeah. Um, nickname is Boss, just because he greets everybody with a, what's up, boss? Okay. A man or woman or child, a boss. Um. We might call him Caldwell Bobs, which obviously is the <laughs> nickname for Robert. It's it's, it's uh, two, you know, Bobs. There's it's plural. It's Bobs. Sure. Like Roberts. Roberts is plural. Bobs is plural. Um, Mike Roberts um, seemingly does not have a muscle that stretches. I don't think he has <laughs> muscles. I think he's just straight bones and cartilage. Oh my god. <laughs> If you've ever seen him run. <laughs> now, I will. Well, watching him run is painful, so do not watch it. <laughs> so, Mike Roberts, though, you know, I think he came in the same year as Coverdale, if I remember right. Uh, maybe maybe the year after. Yeah, I think the year after. Uh, you know, my senior year, he was, he was really going to play for us because he was doing everything that needed him to do he was a really physical player great screener um i know that sounds bad but pretty good rebounder just did his job and you knew you could count on him every day um you know um george leach was was he wasn't ready for it strength wise and newton wasn't either and and so i think where we had it was probably odo mike roberts and and jared jeffries uh and you sprinkle in a little uh newton and leach at the time um but ultimately i think robert's got a knee injury and uh newton really stepped forward and george was the tallest guy we had and he was pretty athletic and he was getting better and better and so you know robert's had his knee injury and his career was never the same um he went from a bad athlete to what the hell is he doing here? Um, he went from a bad athlete to a podcast host. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But the one thing he always had and the one thing that the, the, the two things that he always had, well, three things. The first we talked about was the buzz cut that never has to be cut. The second was a very good basketball mind. Understood the game really well. He just couldn't get his body to do some of the things like jump and run. <laughs> um, and then the third thing was, in spite of his injuries, the guy worked his butt off to be a player. And, and knowing he's going to get nothing out of it, but, you know, his, his natural instinct is, is hard work. To do things right and and 
you know, knowing you're not going to play, but still coming in and working every day on your own, and then you got practice, that's pretty impressive. And, and so the willpower there, you know, Mike Roberts is going to be outstanding for, for Archie and his staff in Indiana and uh, really excited for him. He's a good friend and uh, he's a good dude. He's a good man. And I know he loves that school and that program. And when you got those two components, it's, uh, you know, you can, you can, it's something you can, you can bet on for you gamblers out there. So you guys started to hit your stride at the end of your junior year. You get into the Big Ten tournament where you did have success. You win two games. You play in the championship game of the Big Ten tournament. And one thing Ward and I have talked about on this podcast, we talked about it with Coach Davis as well, is that Coach Davis's teams did seem to have, you certainly had more success in the Big Ten tournament than any other Indiana team before or since. You have some kind of secret sauce. And then clearly your senior year, we will get into that in a minute. But was there something going on that just lay uh, fans don't understand about why you guys did perform so well in tournament high-pressure situations where other teams haven't? You know, I think part of it was that um, we've been popped in the years years prior won by Illinois in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, they beat us on a buzzer beater the year before. They blew us out the previous year, which would have been um, my, my uh, I think it was my freshman year. Right. Um, so, you know, I thought we could get, we knew we could get by the uh, pretty good, uh, what I think was a Wisconsin team. Um, and then came Illinois again and Tom Coverdale and I and um, the rest of the uh, the guard corps. Uh, this was right at the beginning of maybe the Facebook era or some kind of internet website. But you know, we got some information on Frankie Williams, Frank Williams, and it, it was quite a rivalry. And we got some uh, some some personal information that I'm not going to divulge <laughs> on. Frank Williams and and uh, we decided to play the um, play a few mind games with them and I don't know that it impacted them but uh, we ended up playing really well and if my uh, memory serves me right against Illinois at least uh, it was pro- they were probably heavily favored in that game yeah they were ranked fourth in the country yeah and they were loaded and we hadn't had much success against him but uh Kirk played really well I know he ended up with a block at the end of the game uh that that saved the game and it was it was interesting because at that point uh Jared Odell played really well really rebounded played physical we had the guys we had the players to play with virtually anybody um we just we just needed to be we just needed to connect. I think we were really connected on defense, but you know even on offense you got to have all five guys. If it's a if it's a play, all, all five guys are involved in any play, and we really needed to connect on offense. I thought I think we were relatively um, reliant on Kirk's ability to score, and then. You know, the second score varied from game to game. 
So we went into the Iowa game, and, and Iowa um, had just lost or had lost uh, Wrecker. Some fellow right. Hoosiers might remember the name. Nope, at never, least never heard since, of him. Nope. Considering we've talked about it in this conversation. Well, that was too long um, ago. I forgot. Yeah, it was yeah, 14 was, hours ago. It was 14 um, hours ago and a month ago. <laughs> yeah. But but Luke was hurt, and and so we felt pretty good about it. And I, and I, I believe that if Iowa won, they made the tournament, the NCAA tournament. They lost. They uh, they went into relative obscurity, uh, but they came out and Brody Boyd. He got hot. They, they had a couple pros. They had Reggie Evans. Uh, they got hot, and well, at the end of the game, there was probably about eight seconds left, and we we got about two or three uh, chances to. I think it was two or three out of bounds plays, but they were they kept ending up in Kirk's hands, and I kept telling Kirk to just shot fake. They'll fly right at him. All you have to do is shot fake. And I think Kirk learned early in our career to tune me out. <laughs> I, think, I think Kirk gave me a, a maximum limit of words spoken to him. And he may have actually had a counter uh, that counted the words, and I maxed out that day. So if you watch the end of that game, I'm going to blame Kirk yeah. for not shot faking. I mean, that's one of the night staples, shot fake. Right. And if you watch, they were flying at him. But, um, you know, Kirk, Kirk's ability to do some things on the court that uh, were just remarkable is, is one of the main reasons we got there to that championship game um, in 01. And, uh, well, there again, we, we you probably want to segue that into the uh, outstanding tournament performance. <laughs> yeah, the, um, yes. Where you did face an opponent that would, would play into your story later, but you played Kent State in the first round. And uh, suffice to say, it didn't go that well. Well, we... we um, I thought we came out of the gate playing pretty well, but I think uh, Kirk might have gotten foul trouble, or we really had a hard time stopping penetration and stopping their guards. And they got hot. They were a good team, not a great team, but we just we still weren't clicking. We didn't have anybody if if Kirk wasn't playing to really just go get us some buckets. Right. And so, um, you know, Coverdale had been pretty good, but he hadn't come into, you know, his own confident form. And he hadn't earned the nickname Chief Redbeard yet. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we were all still trying to get a feel for one another. And so Kent State was a pretty veteran-laden team. And, um you know, execution, the NCAA tournament's about execution, and those guys really did a good job uh, of taking away what we did well. And uh, they just, they, they played well. They got hot in the game and made shots, and we couldn't control the tidal wave. There's a guy by the name of Trevor Huffman that yeah. played for Kent State. He's a Michigan kid from Petoskey. And they came down to scrimmage us when I was in high school, and 
Petoskey, Michigan's way up there. They don't get a lot of pub. And he was a good player. Uh, he was my class, and and uh, his dad was a, a lawyer and a, and kind of a big mouth. Um, uh, and and so his dad somehow asked my dad, who was a high school basketball coach, to help his son out. And so my dad hadn't seen him play, and and. Uh, so my dad said, uh, yeah, I'll help him out. Who's recruiting him? Uh, any Division two, Division three? who's recruiting him? My dad hadn't seen him play. So if you fast forward to the Kent State game, we're playing against Trevor Hoffman, and they beat us, okay? Next thing I know, uh, a buddy of mine calls me. He's like, yeah, man, you're in the Sports Illustrated. I'm like, oh, no, what about, <laughs> you know, upset? Indiana gets upset. He starts telling me about Trevor Huffman. And Trevor Huffman made it his whole goal to, uh, that was his motivation, was to beat me because, you know, taking my dad's word and twisted him. And uh, so pretty much what had happened is my dad said he wasn't good enough to play Division Three, which is not true. Next thing you know, I have my name in Sports Illustrated. <laughs> so... He did have a good was, game, by uh, the way. He did light you guys up for 24 points in that game. He did. He did. I, I wish he wouldn't have, uh, you know, uh, was. it's pretty arrogant to to uh, to do what he did. And so, you know, I, I was pretty excited when I found out that, that we played uh, Trevor Huffman again the next year. Right. And. As Ward will tell you, um, Antonio Gates and I go way back. Antonio Gates um, knocked me, uh, knocked my team out of the state playoffs my senior year in high school. Mm. Well, revenge is a dish best served cold. Yeah, we will get to the last laugh later. Before we get to um, uh, your senior year, I did want to ask. That year ended, again, a good Big Ten tournament run. You lose to Kent State in the first round. You just ended Coach Davis's first year as interim coach. Did you all think that they were going to replace him at the end of this year? What was the end of that season like for you guys when it came to who the coach was going to be for your senior year? If I, I, I'm not sure. They might have already named him uh, head okay. coach or at some point. I remember being pretty comfortable knowing that Coach Davis was um, coming back. Uh, I wasn't sure on the rest of the staff. I really, really had a great connection and a great relationship with John Trelor. And he was really important to this whole thing. And so um, I thought there would be a few staff changes. But, um, boy, I tell you what, guys, you are lucky because uh, the missus is calling on the other line, and uh, I'm denying her. Wow. <laughs> wow. How did it feel when you got the news that Kirk wouldn't come back? How did I feel? Yeah. Well, I was pissed. Me too. Um, <laughs> I was so pissed that I didn't talk to Kirk all summer. Wow. And... You know, I, 
look, I realized Kirk had an unbelievable opportunity to achieve his dream. As I mentioned earlier, Kirk was one of the main reasons uh, that I came back. And so I was hurt. I was upset. Uh, I was losing a teammate. But I was losing a friend, too. And, you know, I felt like we'd been through a lot. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, I was I was in Kirk's apartment, you know, the night his mom got killed. Um, mom and stepdad got killed by the, the tornado. Right. And, you know, I was there at two in the morning. We, a bunch of us were there, but we were just sitting with him hmm. and just just spending time with him. And, and um, you know, Kirk was always the one that that picked me up when I was, when I was, you know, struggling or missing some confidence or, um, in, in the event that I hadn't used all my, uh, I hadn't reached my word allotment with Kirk. Uh, Kirk was someone that I really enjoyed poking fun of because his Southern accent, uh, had a bunch of nines in it. <laughs> like here, three three nine 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 one nine, and uh, he was just somebody that I really uh, connected with, um, on and off the court, and so, you know, I, I was I was I felt uh, abandoned, but I got over it. I know Kirk made the right decision. The one thing we got out of it that we benefited from was that it shrunk the lineup. You know, it allowed guys more consistency to play. And we had pretty much the same team coming back. I think we lost Andre Owens, who transferred, and maybe uh, one other guy. And then, obviously, Kirk. But uh, we had a great team coming back. And, you know, I knew that. I just I was losing a teammate and a really good friend and somebody that uh, I wanted to – I enjoyed playing with and winning with. How did you reconnect with Kirk? How long did it take? Ah, uh, you know what? Um, I'm I'm not exactly sure, but I think we went three months. I mean, he was training at IU all summer, and uh, I just walked right by him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he wouldn't talk to me, and he's probably laughing at his head. That nut job, you know, he'll talk to me at some point. But you know, Kirk is very strong in his faith and uh, and his convictions, and. Uh, you know, I, I knew I knew everything was fine. I just I just wanted to protest and be a little selfish for a minute and make sure he knew I was upset at him for three months. <laughs> well, thank you for doing that when we couldn't. Yeah, you you spoke for everybody. Um, but You're now welcome. <laughs> but now going into senior year, I think that tempers all our expectations a little bit. Like still, we like this team going into it, but we're missing a key piece. And then things don't start off great. You guys get off to a seven and five beginning. What was, what was the struggle in those early days? Well, I don't know if you noticed, but we were white, sloppy, <laughs> sloppily built, and unathletic. <laughs> you know, and and so um, it took us a little longer to get in shape, where it might take the normal athlete a week. You know, it takes us uh, on a relative scale. It takes us about ten weeks. <laughs> well, and we're still reeling from the summer. I, um, 
I want to ask you about that summer because, Dane, your jump from freshman, sophomore, junior year to what you ended up doing your senior year is one of the more remarkable jumps. I mean, I think that everybody who's a fan of college basketball has gotten used to a somewhat typical progression for a four-year player where you see kind of steady improvement year in and year out. Your game w- was kind of similar your first three years. Mediocre. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, Dane. Very average. Very average. But then your senior year, I mean, just to give some stats here, you shot 24% your freshman year from three, 23% your sophomore year, 31 your junior year. Then you shot up to 47.1% from the three your senior year, and you were taking a bunch of them. What we've talked a lot in this podcast about, you know, and you've been very open about dealing with pressure and processing that. What happened between your junior year and senior year that just opened the floodgates for you? Steroids. Yep. <laughs> all, right, all right. That's a bad, that's a bad joke. Bad joke. That's pretty good, actually. That might have been right during the time of McGuire and yeah, Sammy. Yeah, it's around that time for sure. Mm-hmm. Clemens and Pankowski. Yeah, just everybody knows about the great Pankowski scandal of and, 2002. And the hyper lifting weights. <laughs> yeah, I was I was using a lot of creatine back then. If I told you the whole story, you wouldn't believe me. But tell I'll, it I'll to give us. You, give it to us. No, no, I, I don't even know if it's appropriate now. This is I, more uh, intriguing. Everything you say. And Dane, obviously, you haven't listened to a lot of our podcast. There is nothing inappropriate on our podcast. Right about. Uh, August. I'm on the phone with my dad, and my dad's back in our hometown, Clarkston, and and uh, we're talking. And he said, "Hey, uh, you know, one, our local doctor, Doctor Bayless, said he was a Clarkston guy, played basketball at Clarkston, and usually full of crap when he when he have anything to say. But he goes, hey, Doctor Bayless wants to talk to you, but he thinks he can, he might be able to help you with your jump shot." I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Guy didn't even play when the three-point line existed. <laughs> In fact, I'm not even sure he played on his team. <laughs> I'm better off having this guy named Pankowski help me. That's right. Uh, so I said, okay, fine, yeah, I'll go. So I got home, and I went to see Dr. Bayless, and he proceeds to tell me this story about um, prescribing a patient um, a certain anti it was antidepressant but it was also anti-anxiety in fact it was called Zoloft Zoloft still used today sure yeah buddy I've been there and he said he said you know you got to be careful because there's a stigma about it but I'm, I gave one of my patients this for for something else and it wasn't depression or anxiety. Let's just say that it went into the class of drugs that um, maybe Viagra would be in or something. Okay. Uh, and that's the truth. Oh yeah, it helps. Uh, it helps. Purpose. It helps with PE. Uh, yes, yes, something, something along those lines. Um, we'll yes, let the listeners you know, figure out what that stands for. That's I, exactly what it is. And I laughed. I'm like, come on. What do we got here? He said, well, that same patient came back and swore 
cured his yips in golf. And the yips is, you know, for the regular listener is you get so nervous, you can't even make a, you know, even pros have a, would have a hard time making a routine, short, two-foot putt uh, when you have the yips. And and there's plenty of golfers out there that, that go through it. Um, and so he said, you know, Dr. Bayless said, uh, I said it's possible, you know, anxiety relief. Uh, I said it's possible. So he decided to prescribe it to another friend of his that was a patient who had the yips and same thing happened. Okay. Yips all but gone. And so Dr. Bayless, my doctor was an avid golfer too, who suffered from the yips and you can see where this is going. Yeah. And so it helped him. The Zoloft helped him. And, you know, I still wasn't buying into it. You know, I was, Believe it or not, I was even more shallow. <laughs> um, as a 22-year-old. So he said, look, I want you to start on this, and it takes four to eight weeks to kick in, and uh, you might notice a few side effects. And and so I just kind of went about my business, of, you know, working to become a better player, a better student, if you will, and a, and you know, an all around better Hoosier, but I didn't really notice anything. And I didn't, I didn't expect to notice anything because I didn't feel anything. What I knew of Zoloft were the commercials where, you know, those, those commercials, the flower, you start out with the flower dead and then you take Zoloft and (laughs) sun comes out, flower (laughs) blooms and you smile and you're happy. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And you know what? And I'm not making fun, but that's just not what happened. You know, I just didn't feel anything. So, you know, a couple, uh, maybe a few games go by, you know, uh, same old me shooting my 25%, you know, trying to pass the ball as soon as I catch it. But being a really good defender and a good screener, um, sorry to make this story so long, but the great Alaska shootout comes, comes around and second game of the year, by the way, Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. There were a couple exhibitions maybe. Yep, but, yep um, you're right. So I think I went six or seven or four or five. And where, where the hell did that come from? Like, I, I felt like I didn't feel anything. And leading up to that game, most games I'd be so exhausted from nerves and anxiety before the game that, you know, I didn't have much energy left. So I guess that was the first time I really noticed. Then we played Marquette. I didn't get many opportunities, uh, but I, I still played pretty well. Uh, we lost to D Wade on a tip in. It was great because Coach Davis blamed Coverdale for the missed blockout, and it was actually me. <laughs> <laughs> Let me guess. You didn't step up and say it was your fault. Uh, about six years later, I did, but I, <laughs> I didn't watch the film until uh, maybe it was on YouTube or something. It might have been even longer. Sorry, Cove, but I, I didn't. I, we didn't watch the film because we were moving on, and we got to play Texas. And um, we played. They had a bunch of pros. They had Royale Ivy, um, T.J. Ford, and I don't. I think either Coverdale. I think Coverdale didn't play. Somebody didn't play, and it was me and the great D.P. Donald Perry, A.K.A. Don Perry, and. Uh, 
you know, we took on a really good Texas team and beat them. And I, I hadn't felt like I, you know, that way in a long, long time where, you know, I, I didn't have that fear, uh, the fear of failure. Um, it did not allow me, they were, I still had nerves, but it didn't allow those nerves to manifest into something that was more of, uh, you know, paralysis or, um, you know, the type of nerves where you can't, where you, you get so tense, you know, that you, you, the small muscles, the fine muscles, the motor muscles that really take, uh, that, that you really need to, to control your dribble or shoot a jump shot properly or putt or chip. Mm-hmm. Um, there was not, I didn't feel the impact anymore. And, and so I swear by it. I swear it. I swear that I was helped by Zoloft and I'm not ashamed of it. Although when I, when we talk about, um, as a, when the Fife brothers get together along with Papa Fife, uh, and I announced that I was the best shooter in the family, my oldest brother, Dugan, who's, who's pretty witty, uh, <laughs> likes to chime in and says, yes, but I am the best shooter in the family drug free. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dane, if I could, if I could chime in, um, I went through this in high school and, uh, my, my pediatrician, uh, assigned me the same prescription for, for tennis. I would get so mad. I would see red. Um, and I saw some effect there in high school, but as you'd like to draw analogies between sports and acting, uh, I got off of it for a while and then I moved out to LA and I was in a, a sketch group and I'd get so anxious before shows uh, to perform well, to be funny, to be on, to keep up with these really talented comedians around me. And I got back onto it. And I remember being on stage in front of a good crowd. And I just felt so present and so relaxed. And I wasn't worried about how I was doing. I was just doing. And it was so pleasant. And I felt like, well, isn't this just how I should normally be? Is this how other people are? And it was it was wonderful to feel that way. And I think, at least for me over time, it's diminishing returns. I think with any, you know, drug or alcohol, at least for me, uh, it, it would a tolerance would build. Uh, but it always has given me something to strive for and know that's possible. but it's 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 hard, I think, with certain people's body chemistry. So, Ward, I think that's a great comment. Uh, there's a lot of things you said, um, that resonate with me. Um, you know, it's like, there just weren't a lot of studies out on, you know, a drug like Zoloft. I started at 50 milligrams and, and by the end I was at about two, 250 and, you know, as long as the doctor said it was safe, I would just keep build, build, build and didn't notice other than the, <laughs> I'd get an occasional rash uh, along my neck as, I, I'm not sure why, but um, you mentioned the tolerance. Um, gosh, I think if I'd have kept going, I, I'm not sure where it, I would have been, but it, it is funny that um, you mentioned that you, you, you feel that presence of mind the other part is, and, and that's the one code that 
I'm trying to crack is, you know, we have, we have psychiatrists and psychologists out there that are suggesting that you could be born with that gene where your ability in the fight or flight situation, it's not necessarily, not necessarily flight, but you know, your initial fight or flight body physiological reaction, and I'm, I'm getting pretty deep here, is, is very primitive. It is, it is hand-to-hand combat. It's fighting a bear or fighting Coach Knight. I don't know. Right. Um, Coach Knight was a pretty big guy, and, it, and it's, it's very primitive. And so, you know, that's the whole thing is the adrenaline, the blood you know, leaving your, your outer most extremities to, to the center of your body to protect your organs and then your heart pumping in order to, you know, get it back out to your, to the edges of your fingers. And, um, you know, even your brain and gets affected. And so this, and my point is that the studies out there, they're trying to determine whether you're born with that, that, fight or flight response that's eventually gonna if you're in golf or or whatever you tennis or you know it affects people different ways but um they just they they didn't just ban in golf but the beta blockers in golf it's has a similar impact um perhaps as the uh the ssri class um but you you hear stories of people taking all kinds of drugs as you guys know actors and actors included sorry guys but um the the uh stimulants like adderall or sure perhaps cocaine um i don't know marijuana there's there's documented stories of athletes playing high i mean And if you read a guy like Rick Ankiel's book, The Phenomenon, um, you know, I think I'm not sure if we discussed it. Yeah, I we mentioned did. It earlier, did. but he yeah, he talks high, about getting drunk before. Well, the he games. talks about being under the influence of alcohol. Yeah, for sure. Just something to dull the pain, to or not to dull the pain, but to dull the to senses. You. Yeah, to make you stop caring so much, and that's really what I characterize it as. And there's. There's the ultimate choker. There's the middle ground, which I'd say maybe, maybe I'm in, maybe Ward's in. I don't know. Maybe Eric's in when he. No, no, high performing athlete. One on one. No, high performing athlete. High performing athlete is the group I'm in. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of these people. There's a ton of athletes that have the ability to be at an NBA caliber uh, level just their minds are are legitimately um you know more or less being blocked by their own negative negative thought dane did Uh, whether it's external or internal did any of your teammates or did coach davis or john Trelord did anybody know that you had started that Uh, you know what i think um we both may have but Trelor had you know, Coach Davis is the head coach. He had a lot of stuff on his plate. Trelor had hooked me up and connected me with a local um, psychologist to try to, 
you know, help me sort through things and, um, you know, work on things to calm my body down, calm my down during the, um, but you know, when you're dealing with sports or, or dealing with the big event, which that was my life's dream, uh, you know, each game that, the the start of the nerves and the anxiety would during the season, it never end. So it was constant and it was hard to, you know, stay calm, stay present, you know, breathing techniques at all times. Are you familiar with the band Ween? Uh, smell that. <laughs> There's a band called Ween, and this is when I realized what Zoloft was doing for me. They have a song called Zoloft. It's great. And we can kind of put a button on this part by this. This is one of the, the lyrics I pulled up from the song that made me realize the effect it was having. It said, give me that Z-O-L-O-F-T, no longer pissed, and you don't bother me. I'm making it through. I'm giving my all. When bases are loaded, I'm whacking the ball. Ooh, that's real. Yeah, man. And and listen to the song. You'll You'll... That's when I realized, oh, this is a thing. This is something that really helps a lot of people in a similar way. And, you know, I, I don't know where the science is at 20 years later after I was going through that, but it's at least nice to know there's some relief and some help uh, to get out of your own way, especially when things get acute. You, you know what? And I, I've always been willing to talk about it, um, and I'm not, th- I, I don't, I've tried to bring it up with certain, maybe, maybe a few nationally re- renowned psychiatrists, psychologists who are studying sports and performance anxiety and, and all those things. And, um, I, I don't want it to be the answer and I'm not suggesting that it should be, but I, I wonder, um, exactly what the SSRI is, is, is doing and what we can do to control that component, which, you know, nobody shot more shots than me. Nobody practiced more than me. Nobody studied the game more than me. I put in the work and I put in as much work as maybe some of the, some of the elite shooters in the country at that time, but it just, it wasn't clicking. And, and so, you know, I guess my quest would be one, let's find out where this disconnect happens. You know, it could be genetic or it could be something that uh, happened where most things you, you kind of develop and you get hardwired in your in your early childhood years. Um, you know, I really started to feel pressure, as I mentioned, about 10th grade. Right. And and. Uh, you know, I'd been under the microscope my whole life because of my brother and my dad. And I just, there was no rhyme or reason for it to come. It just came and it was like Rick Ankiel's wild pitch. It was legitimately just an airballed free throw, which obviously you and Eric had probably experienced your whole life. And, oh yeah. At my kid's grade school a week ago in front of like four fourth graders, it was humiliating. Oh boy. Yeah. So then Ward just went into a corner and started popping Zoloft pills. 
And then yeah, but you got see that's the thing they don't have the fast acting ones yet. Oh. That's the problem with the SSRIs. I know that's why he went straight to cocaine in the corner. It was weird. <laughs> straight to uh, 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 what's mainlining that stuff? heroin, the, uh, CBD oil. That hey, we're joking around, but I was in a golf scramble this summer, and I I got some of the CBD tincture from a buddy. And I played the best 18 holes of my life. It was crazy. And I didn't feel that I had any effect at all. I didn't notice any effect whatsoever, except when it was over, I was like, I was relaxed and focused through that entire four hours. And, Which, and what was the reason? I missed it. Well, I believe it's, I, I got some CBD tincture which is largely uh, legal now across the country, even, even you know. Well, in, especially out there where you guys are. Oh, yeah. It's all and, legal and I here. Think there's a purpose for all that stuff. I'm just not sure it's a purpose in everyday life. And there's not many studies out about it. And there's plenty of people that, um, you know, say it doesn't work. Plenty of people say it does. But well, it just doesn't. Um, it doesn't seem to be sustainable, right? I think that's the real problem with any of this, like, brain hacking, life hacking stuff. The tolerance or, you know, the abuse, whatever it is, it just doesn't seem like something that can sustain indefinitely. So then you have to take a step back and be like, all right, how can I achieve this naturally or more naturally so it's something I can count on day in and day out for the long haul? Well, and I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure that something... You know, like an SSRI, is, is Zoloft, Paxil. I'm not sure that um, there's a tolerance there. I, I'm not sure that there is. I think maybe it just uh, maybe you're just a bad actor. Lord, I don't, I don't <laughs> but I would feel so much better about being a bad actor. <laughs> well, and, and still, you have plenty of uh, psychologists, psychiatrists suggesting that it's placebo. Like, right. And I had one say that and, and I, I respect it. I, I disagree, but you know, I, I still thought about missing those jumpers, but it didn't go overboard. And I tried to test myself. I try to create, recreate that, that cold chilling feeling go through my body as I thought about airballing or, you know, letting the team down. And it just, you know, it just blocked it for some reason. Well, it certainly worked. You mentioned the Alaska Anchorage game. You went nuts, six of eight from three, 20 points, five assists. Two games later against Texas, four of five threes, 17 points. I mean, you are you are just a different offensive player. Your defense is still top-notch, great screener, but your offense, you have become a real offensive threat for a team that is shooting threes at a rate that is just seldom seen, truthfully, in college basketball. I mean, you guys had several shooters out there. But like Ward said, you started the season 7-5, and five, and then something clicked. Right around the new year, January of 2002, you go on a stretch where you win 11 of your next 14 games, and you tie for the Big Ten Championship. And along the way, you stomped down Illinois, who oh, was a yeah. top-10 team. Them. You just destroyed those boys. Dane, how good did it feel? Do you do you allow yourself, after your four years, you're, you're coming, coming to the end of your four years at Indiana, where you have gone through some tumultuous crap in your four years, both personally, like we've talked about with the anxiety, 
but also just from the team shakeup with Coach Knight and the Neil Reed tape and Coach Davis taking over, and now you guys are clicking. Did you allow yourself to enjoy that at all? Not really. You know, Jeffrey's got hurt, didn't play against uh, Wisconsin. I mean, if it was a bad sprain or and. You know, we lost to Wisconsin at home. It was Bo Ryan's first year, and it really cost us winning it outright. And, uh, you know, we were pretty excited about winning it. But, um, you know, if, if you watch the end of that Wisconsin game, you'll see me grab two Wisconsin players. We had the ball out of bounds again, so I knew we didn't have Haston to, to, to not shot fake. So I told Horny, Horny was taking the ball out, and uh, I was supposed to, um, I think maybe Newton was going to screen for Coverdale, and then I was going to back screen for Newton, something like that. Watch watch the end of the game. Okay. And uh, I, I'd already airballed. <laughs> I airballed the game winner. I might have airbanked it. I might have hit the backboard first. <laughs> At least I didn't airball. Um my stuff kicked in. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> if you didn't so, have the stuff, it would have been a regular air ball. Oh, it, it would have hit the middle of the lane. <laughs> so um, if you watch the end of that game, you guys would get a kick out of it. I don't know where you'd find it, but um, I, I went to screen the two Wisconsin, the Wisconsin player, and I grabbed my own guy. Well, I, I grabbed – I screened one and grabbed the other, and you'll see it right on the tape. And Horny's looking the other way, and he hits Coverdale uh, in the corner, and Cub misses the the deep corner fadeaway three, and Wisconsin comes in and beats us. And you can bet the rest of the Big Ten was cheering because I think that created a four-way tie, and that was a really good league that year. Not only was, um, you know, uh, not only were we pretty good, but, in, in Illinois, but Ohio State, uh, Michigan State somehow found a way uh, to be pretty good. And then Wisconsin with uh, Devin Harris and Kirk Penny. And, yeah. uh, but the, the, um, we still had to beat Northwestern, uh, which was senior day. But the, uh, I think we knew we'd get that one done. But, you know, I, I didn't feel great you know, about what we'd accomplished. That's what you're supposed to do at Indiana. And uh, I felt like personally that I'd, I'd conquered something and that, um, you know, I might have had a career to look forward to and maybe uh, Gus Mackers or something where I could make <laughs> a little hustle money. Well, heading into the tournament, you guys had lost three of five. Did you have any idea of what was brewing or were you just no, hoping to none. Get... Hmm. We would just be happy to win the first one. And then we'd be happy to get out of the first weekend because the whole time, I mean, we, we gotten drilled I and mean, right. we got a major upset with, with Kent state. Um, we got drilled in the first round to, to um, Pepperdine. And then I think who'd we beat the first round there? Uh, beat somebody it might have been buffalo or somebody or it might have been in buffalo i can't remember who we beat but uh in the first round my freshman year and then got destroyed by ron ron Artest test in st john's 
it was you beat no, no that's not it hold on i'm gonna get it for you here we're having we're having our uh, assistant look it up right yeah, now. Yeah, get, get the intern on it. I'm, I'm working on it, guys. <laughs> right it. over there by Ward's dog. <laughs> yeah, uh, you beat George Washington. You smoked him, one hundred eight to eighty eight. Yeah, I, I know. I wouldn't even remember who was on that team. Uh, would you like me to tell you? Yes, I think there was. They had a really small guard that was pretty good. They had. Uh, their leading scorer that game, who had 28 points, was Shanta Rogers. Yep, he was really tiny. 28 and, points, uh, by the way. Six of 16 threes. He shot 31 field goals. He went 10 of 31. Lew- yeah, Lewis was probably guarding him. <laughs> <laughs> and then they had a guy named Angston Iturbe. You remember that name? And they had. Uh, I can remember Coach Knight trying to pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> and Igor Mishuryakov, who went off for that's, 24 points. That sounds like a uh, Eastern European or uh, old yeah. Soviet Union. A little bit. It's got a little Harris Muyazinovich in it. Harris, if you're listening, I did not agree with that. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have a V at the end of your name, Harris. So let's get back to what Ward was saying, because not only did you lose, was it three of five, you said, Ward? Yeah. But a heartbreaking loss in the second round to your old teammate, Luke Recker. Rook Lecker. Who hits a game winner that was the one of the most deflating moments I remember as an Indiana fan. To lose in the Big Ten tournament to them, to him, it was rough. And then you guys are going into the NCAA tournament, your senior year, your last chance here, and you're playing Utah in the first round. What do you remember about getting ready for that game? Well, you know, the Iowa game, uh, when Wrecker hit that shot, that, uh, once again, it was like the years past. They needed they needed to win the tournament, the Big Ten tournament, in order to get the NCAA tournament. Luke was really professional and kind about it. Uh, there were a couple Iowa players talking trash after, like, like fellas, you got problems. You got to beat Ohio State still to to win the to get in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> go to your locker room, go to your hotel, and get ready. But um, you know, I, I was, I guess, I was happy for Luke. You know, Luke and I were still pretty close at that time. Um, you never, you never even like to lose to your friends and. Um, yeah, wait a minute. I got to call bullshit on something here. So, okay, I was I was yeah, pissed. All yeah, right? yeah I was like, if you were mad at Kirk, you had to be mad well, at Luke. And also, specifically, when we talked to Coach Davis, he told us a story that you got mad at him because you saw him, like, hugging a player from the other team after a game. You know, after the game is over, he goes and hugs somebody, and you, like, went nuts on him for it. Yeah, and I, I won't apologize for it, but um, we've been in a battle with Ohio State. And Brian Brown was a tough, tough competitor. And Brent Darby was a Michigan kid, um, really good player. And, and it was a heck of a game at Ohio State. And, I mean, it was – there was blood, a lot of, lot of anger, trash talk. Uh, it was a war. And um, so we're in the handshake line, and I just saw Coach Davis. 
you know, he's hugging Brian Brown and laughing and joking. And I was a, I was a bit immature at the time and, you know, a lot more than I am now, believe it or not, which you can draw your own conclusions. But so we get back in the locker room and it was really just me and him and maybe a couple other guys. I don't know where the rest of the, they were taking their time getting back, but I said, man, coach, you know, I don't, it's not cool hugging, you know, hugging Brian Brown like that. Yeah, you didn't exactly say it that kindly, did you? Well, did? and he and he looked at me and he said, "What? What'd you say?" I don't. I don't he he didn't think I was saying anything bad. And I said, "That's bullshit, bullcrap." <laughs> you hugging Brian Brown, and his eyes widened, and he went nuts. I mean, he climbed over three chairs, uh, you know, got in my face, and you know, I like, "Hey, dude, okay, I'm gonna stand down here." And, uh, you know, you may be old, but you can still probably destroy me. Uh, and I stood down and I would say I was upset about it, but uh, you know what? That's, that's, uh, you know, that's when you know you got something and those are moments that, yeah, they're not fun to go through, but you know what you have in, in both, you know, and I think in me, I think coach Davis saw a guy that you know, loyalty and, and wants to, wants to win. And, and, you know, you're either for me or you're against me. And, and I, in, in uh, coach Davis, I saw a guy that says, Hey man, you know, you, you can't hold grudges in situations like this, you know? And, and really what I, what I thought is like, man, if, if I feel that about one guy, imagine what, every player would feel about me if grudges were held. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have any friends. Right. So you know, Dan, and, Go ahead. No, no that's, that's it. So I, I'm curious about what happens next in the tournament because as a fan, I think everybody listening to this has filled out an NCAA bracket in their time. And whenever you do and your team is playing, you're always looking at who's that next team, who's the good team that's matched up the high seed that you're going to play in the next round. And the team that you're going to play, you're going to play the winner of the UNC Wilmington USC game. And USC is the four seed in your bracket and a really good team. When you beat Utah and then you see UNC Wilmington beat SC, I know as a fan, it's like, oh my God, we're going to go to the Sweet 16. This is unbelievable. As a player, I know that you're supposed to every don't take anybody lightly. I know all that. But when you see UNC Wilmington win that game, what goes through your guys' minds? Are you talking like that at all? No, you know what? We hadn't seen USC play much. Uh, we knew them in name. We knew they had some high-profile players. But the older guys, myself, the guys that had, and had seen us, you know, lose when I was a freshman and sophomore because uh, he lived right there in Bloomington. And so most of us thought, hey, we know what can happen pretty easily. And so I, I didn't think it it messed with our head much. Um, so we, we knew that, you know, that Wilmington had a guy named Blizzard that was pretty dang good. And uh, we knew we had And we did it. I'm pretty curious about the process there uh, in the tournament on a weekend, a quick turnaround like that. And obviously the coaching staff 
has very little time to prepare you guys for the game. Have they already done research on like both USC and Wilmington and they're ready to go? Or is there a big scramble right after the game results come in and then an implementation? When does that happen? How does that look in between the two games? How do you get in the prep that you can? Well, you got your pod of four teams. So that's Utah, Wilmington, and, and USC. And you'll have those three teams scouted, and then you can do the live scout when they're playing either before or after us and, you know, tie in, tie in the loose ends. So when you get back to the hotel, whenever, you know, if that game was first, you get back to the hotel after your game, might go over a couple um, a couple things like watch their offense, maybe go over some kind of defense that they run and go over each individual player that, uh, you know, that – that each of us will have to guard. So, you know, I think with that group, it was a veteran group. You know, Coverdale had been there for three years. Myself, four. Jeffries, two. Newton, what was Newton? Two or three. Uh, yep. You know, Moye. Yep. We had enough guys leading the team where we could keep those freshmen in tune, and it was pretty easy to hold them accountable. Um you know, we, 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 we were pretty solidified in terms of the discipline that we had and uh, the impact that we had on the younger guys to where we could hold them accountable for, for, uh, for being ready to go. Well, you were ready to go. You win that game. And now for the first time in your college basketball career, you get to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament and you are playing the number one team in the country just filled with NBA players, Duke. Walk us through what you remember from winning that game against UNC Wilmington, knowing you're going to the Sweet 16, and then heading back to Bloomington for a little before you get ready for the Sweet 16 game against Duke. What was that like? Well, I remember just thinking, like, man, wouldn't that be amazing if we could beat them, if we could beat Duke? Uh, the flip side was, you know, every game you go into, you think, you know, that's why nerves exist. You think you you can, there's a chance you could lose, especially in the, in, in the NCAA tournament. But, the, and that was reality for us was, was Duke was really good and had a reputation of, of playing well in the tournament. And they had all these elite NBA players. And I might've mentioned this before, but I just remember seeing, Carlos Boozer at the free throw line. And I said to Jared Odell, I said, look how wide Boozer is. He, he literally takes up the whole free throw line. And he, and there, there's a reason why he was, you know, a 13, 15 year pro is because he was, he was just, you know, ready made to, to be that caliber of, of elite player. And, uh, Jay Williams, uh, Mike Dunleavy, Chris Duhon, I mean, they had, they had, their seventh and eighth man was, was an NBA player and probably Dante Jones was probably yes. in, in a first rounder. And here we had, you know, what eventually would amount to one first rounder and one first round CBA player. <laughs> <laughs> when did you, and so, did you know right away you were going to guard Mike Dunleavy, that that would be your at least initial assignment? How quickly did you know that? Well, uh, you know, I wanted to guard Jay Williams, but I, I'd always had problems getting too aggressive as the end of the game 
approved. Um, and so I, I knew I'd eventually guard Jay Williams, but we put Chief Redbeard on him to start because he was less apt to foul than I was. And, you know, I didn't think that Mike Dunleavy would be too much of a challenge. Really? Um, if I remember right, he was pretty young and maybe a sophomore, maybe a freshman, but um, I knew he was pretty skinny, pretty long, but pretty skinny, not overly athletic. So I thought that we had the advantage with me guarding him for sure. And, and maybe even a guy that Coverdale could have guarded. <laughs> well, you're being, you're being a little bit modest here. Mike Dunleavy was a very good basketball player and had a ton of size and I hear you on the non-athletic stuff, but he could shoot, he could drive. He, he had a lot of skills, and he was an important piece for them. Uh, he was, but he was young, and he was sure. not very strong at that point. Got it. So the game and starts, so, uh, and it is a turnover fest. I mean, it is just – it feels like – I've watched the game recently. There are – it just seems like a turnover on almost every possession. What was interesting was when you weren't turning the ball over, you guys were scoring. If you didn't turn it over, you scored. But you go into halftime, and, and we've talked to several people on your team about this, and we've kind of gotten a bunch of different perspectives about halftime down by a lot. Moye tells us when he went into halftime, it was like, screw them. We're going to do this. We're going to come back. Jared told us that he's thinking, all right, man, just don't get hurt. I got, an, I got $40 million waiting for me in the NBA. Just don't <laughs> Thanks get for hurt. sharing that, JJ. Yeah, exactly. Um, what was your mindset heading into halftime when you're down by, you know, significant double digits here? Well, what's interesting is um, two things for me stood out in the first half. We were just getting blown out. And as you said, turning the ball over, uh, a little shell shocked. Uh, I did. I, I do remember I hit the first basket for us. And Coverdale threw one co uh, cross court to me, and I hit it. Mm -hmm. And that was the only one I hit. I think, you know, clearly Duke was out to uh, prevent our threes. Sure. And the other, the other thing I did that I remember was that um, I went to set a screen on Boozer, and and he ran me over. And uh, I remember walking down the court and. I overheard Coach K yell to the ref, that guy's a flopper. Ooh. And you can see it on TV where he's yelling it too. And and thought to myself, he knows me. He recruited me for three years. Why is he calling me that guy? <laughs> that guy. Did it just piss you off? Well, it hurt my feelings. <laughs> I said, Coach, come on, man. You know me, but, um, you know, I just, I, I, I wasn't mad. I just, I just remembered it for, like I called that guy. I was that guy. Right. That's so great. <laughs> I get called that guy all the time now, but at that time, that term didn't exist. Right. That guy. So, so we, we did go in and, and, uh, you know, coach Davis, had said we're you know we're going to win this game. He'd said it a couple times before. I'm not sure whether we run the game or not, but he said it for that one. And we, I'd I'd seen kind of some some things with Duke's team where they were getting frustrated. They were arguing a little bit, and I think that that it was they'd almost lost to Notre Dame the the week earlier. Right, it was a close game. Um, and so I'd, I'd seen that they'd had some issues. You just had to 
you couldn't let them feel like they've they've you know they stepped on your throat and and we knew those Notre Dame players we'd played Notre Dame and beaten them so we knew that um, you know we, we were we were better than Notre Dame if we could just go in you know after halftime deal with um, some of the the different things that Duke does especially when it's you know kind of you know on the ropes which is you know push the tempo even more and you know gamble and try to get you out of your offense and so we had to be pretty selective in um, the guys we had in the game Um, you know there were just certain guys that had helped us along the way that really weren't weren't they couldn't play in that game so you know, we, 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 we came all the way back. I think we took a lead or were close, and then they put it, took it back up to five after maybe a Dunleavy three, and then... How much how much does the crowd help you at this point? Because it's virtually a home crowd. Is that just something we, the fans, think is a big deal, or are you feeding off of that energy as things are tightening up and it's getting towards the, the home stretch, and it's, it's basically an Indiana crowd? You know what? For me... I, you really don't notice it when you're playing, you know, when the ball's in play, certainly not. And then, uh, you know, I, I didn't notice an, an imbalance of, of the crowd. I, I really didn't. I just, I just knew that, um, you know, we were coming back and, and, uh, we were getting confidence and the, but the biggest thing I noticed is that Duke was, was falling apart. You know, right. by the seams, their team, their their camaraderie, and clearly there was a disconnect there, and it was um, something that that it was you could see it on their faces, and it became, you know, Carlos Boozer versus, you know, Carlos Boozer was the one guy that was really dialed in and and trying to win, and. Uh, you know, well focused. I don't want to say that any of them weren't trying to win, but Boozer hadn't hadn't uh, lost focus on on what he was doing and his impact and role in the game. You you uh, mentioned before that when you got some good Frank Williams information, there might have been some uh, mind games going on. Knowing that this Duke team might have a tendency to fall apart and bicker, were you? doing any Dane Fife magic with some trash talking to sow those seeds of discontent or you were just letting it happen? You know what? They, they, they didn't do much talking. And, and in that case, you know, I certainly didn't do much talking. Um, there were just, you know, the, the Illinois situation, there were just some, you know, we, we competed against them a lot. And right. We were searching for an edge. And at that point we found the edge, but, you know, Duke didn't do much trash talking. And in fact, I don't think they did any, not with me. Um, probably cause they didn't know my name, but that um, guy, just that guy. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, that's true. I was that guy. <laughs> well, um, your defense in that game, Dane, I don't know how much or if at all you have gone back and watched that game, but you are locked in defensively. Your intensity is amazing. You hold Dunleavy to five of 16 shooting. Um, and the game is just like you were talking about it, get it getting intense. You're crawling back. They hit a three. We crawl back again. Moye comes in and hits a bunch of free throws. Uh, Coverdale finally hits his first shot of the game. The post up, 
down low where the ball seemed to have bounced 40 times on the rim before going in. And we end up taking the lead. And it seems like the game is iced away. It's over. We're up four. Celebrations happening. Pop we're, the champagne. We're out here in L.A. on the Sunset Strip going crazy. There's no way we're going to blow this. No. Duke gets the ball. There's a scramble. They miss a shot. They get it back. It winds up in Jay Williams' hands. He just has to chuck a three. Even if he makes it, this game is over. Just tell us what happened. Well, I pretty much locked Jay Williams down or Jay locked himself down the whole second half. And, you know, that was my existence. That's why, uh, you know, when I was a young freshman struggling with offense, you know, Coach Knight called me in and said, I need, I need you in the game. I just need you to make sure that you don't make mistakes on the things that you can control. And so I went back to um, – you know, those days of, gosh, this is my existence. This is why I play. This is why Indiana fans don't boo me. <laughs> um, and I take took a lot of pride in the fact that, that uh, I've done a great job in the second half on Jay. And, and so uh, I just felt like, hey, I don't want this dude to score, so I'm going to get by here and contest. The other part is, if you remember, we couldn't get the ball in bounds yes. on the previous possession, and I sure as hell didn't want it. <laughs> and uh, I ended up getting it and somehow just popping it over a Duke player's yeah. uh, outstretched hands. And then that's how it ended up in Moye's hands. Head, so I'm yep. just thinking, all right, I don't know what I had in my head, but I did not, I didn't want them with a three with, with uh, anything with uh, we're up a point. I didn't want there to be any time on the clock. Uh, and if they hit their three, I wanted it to be like three seconds or below. So we have, you know, we go, they're going to foul us if we can get the ball in bounds. I certainly didn't want to be taking those free throws. <laughs> so, so if we go, if he hits the three and we're, we go in, you know, they, I don't know if there's a timeout or they foul or what. I thought, gosh, with their speed and size, they may be able to get another shot off. So let's just challenge this. Now, uh, for any, anybody that's listening that's uh, of the playing age, um, I didn't foul. Jay Williams, but what I did, and we tell our players this all the time, doesn't have to be a foul, it just has to look like a foul. And so um, that was our issue because Jay would later admit um, that he flopped and he flopped well. Does it, does it bother you that people still, many people do think that you fouled him? Does that bug you? No, not at all. We won the game. It's over. Exactly. Um, it was a uh, but Dave, it was a bad decision. But walk us through the reaction. I mean, Davis's reaction is just legendary. I mean, he just lost his mind. Do you know about Jared's plan? What he was planning on doing had you lost that game? Yeah, JJ's full of crap. JJ knows he couldn't handle me, <laughs> and he still can't. Um, I was JJ's big brother, man. JJ, JJ knew. Uh, he probably wasn't surprised. I just remember um, walking back to pro almost half court and that warm, excited feeling of what just happened turned into a cold, right. once again chilled, what just happened. <laughs> and I looked up at my parents 
uh, my dad was like literally hiding behind my mom <laughs> and my two brothers, they just were in disbelief. And I looked back and uh, I just thought, I can't believe this just happened. And I was just resigned to the fact that um, we were going to go to OT and lose. And all this happened in about, you know, whatever it took from, from everybody to get lined up at the free throw line. And so I just remember thinking, like, my career, this is, this is going to be bad. <laughs> and, you know, Jay Williams gets ready to take the free throw. And we still have a job to do, and we try to get to our routine. And next thing you know, Jeffries doesn't box out. Yep. And so uh, Jeffries would have been the GOAT. Huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Boozer, real, I, I swear to God, villain. I don't know how Boozer, everybody wants to talk about that, that he fouled him. He didn't foul him, but. Um, well, Jeffrey says he did foul him. Said he did? Yeah. Jeffrey's is like, I couldn't move. Yeah. I had nothing left. I didn't move at all. And then I Whatever. just grabbed him. JJ, JJ, he, he likes to sensationalize stories. That fish <laughs> he caught, you know, in his backyard was. <laughs> It wasn't a walleye, JJ. It was a catfish. <laughs> Man, he got a whole TV show out of telling those stories. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I don't know how Boozer missed it. Right. I, it, even if JJ followed, I don't know how Boozer missed it. And then Newton. And it, it was like the good Lord or the yeah. ghost of uh, Pankowski put his hand over yeah. the rim. Mm -hmm. And the one. <laughs> There, there's my favorite part of the celebration um, was Moye came flying across the court looking for somebody to hug. <laughs> Nobody would hug him, and he was going 100 miles an hour. And somehow he fell, he hit somebody's foot and just went flying. <laughs> and there's a video somewhere of that. But um, Oh, we got to find that. That is great. It was impressive. It was, it was beautiful. And I just... I remember going back and just laying on the locker room floor and just not wanting to move. And finally, Coach Trelor came in and said, Fife, get up, get up. And it, it's funny because after those games, the NCAA makes you take – they select four random people for a um, – four, four uh, random people to do a urine test to test for any performance-enhancing drugs and – I think uh, Pittsburgh and Kent State played after us, and I didn't finish because I was just had nothing, nothing to to give. But you were you were selected. <laughs> so you were selected to be one of the four. I, ironically, I somehow yeah. the the NCAA thought I was on something. <laughs> so, I mean, after the game, I mean, I, I didn't get home for back to the hotel for four hours oh wow and so they'd already been they'd already done most of the scouting stuff and any preparation didn't get to hang out but um i didn't even get to take part in any uh small celebration with 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 friends and fans and family but you know i think everybody was certain that we were gonna get by kent state at that point and iu was back it felt like that what and you what did it feel like going back to Bloomington, knowing you guys were going to the Final Four? Having... Well, wait, we've got to talk about the Kent State game. Well, hey, he just, he just kind of dang it, Ward. You focus. Ju you just kind of blew by it. 
No, you, you just said it. Well, well, I do that Dane. sometimes. Oh, Dane did. Yeah. You got to get well, him back on track. We got to get him back on track. Because we, we set it up so bad. well. The old arch nemesis, Antonio yes. Gates. And Trevor Huffman. I mean, you get now to cha- a chance at revenge on the team that knocked you out the year before. Was there bad blood with Antonio Gates from high school days, or was that friendly? Uh, that was just non-existent. I don't think there was bad blood. There was just bad blood for, with Huffman and right. Kent State, and they mm-hmm. beat us the year before. Stan Heath, now the head coach there, who was a Michigan State Spartan, and a lot of respect for him. But, um, you know, we, we just uh, – we we weren't losing, I can tell you that. And we just it wasn't happening. It well, wasn't gonna happen and so Do you know who the uh, leading scorer of that game was? Uh, might have been me. It was you. You went six of yeah. eight from the field, five of six from three, you scored seventeen points, and you bring Indiana to a place that every fan expects, but we hadn't been in a decade. Wait. So that's it. That's all we're gonna. That's what we all had. To back I should up point for. out that I took the high road <laughs> and did not bash Mr. Huffman. Yeah. By the way, Huffman, um, you, did you guard Huffman in that game? A little bit. A little bit. The guy you you locked him down. He only made two field goals. He only had eight points in the game. That's a Division three player right there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We all have our days in the sun. And now and his was a year ago, about that time. Okay. And now, now, now you're going back to Bloomington. Now that we've got that settled, was that the absolute rock star treatment? Getting back into town that week, did you guys get to revel in that, or was it right to work? Well, I wouldn't say it was right to work, fellas. We went out <laughs> and celebrated a little with our fellow students. As you should. Um, that's why. That's yeah. why we all went there. We didn't get that while we were there, and that's what. That's what oh, we. I'm as sorry students, to hear that. Yeah, well, it wasn't your fault all the time, but that not all the time. No, no. you were a, just a freshman. But look, that's something. As students, you go there, and we didn't get that ones before or after us did, and it's a huge deal. And I can I'd imagine it's ten times that as a player. So are, are you going out with your teammates and fellow co-eds and? And does that thought come through your mind of like, yep, this is why I came to Indiana University? Yeah. I, I don't really remember it, but I'd imagine that's what I was uh, <laughs> thinking. We- and I'm not <laughs> suggesting I was doing anything uh, wrong. I just, gosh, you know what? It's hard to even recollect the, um, the Final Four. I'll do my best. But we go to commercial right now, and uh, we'll have to pick this back. Oh, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Guys, I'm sorry. I, I mean, heard you children are crushing us. I heard children in dishes. This, I knew we were in trouble. This podcast is never going to I mean, to I got the missus right here and put her on. Put let me talk to her. Put her Blair, on. Blair, you gotta talk to these fine gentlemen. This is um Ward and Eric, two hacks from out from the West Coast, but they're Hoosiers. One's from Peru. Right up, oh. right up my, uh, right down thirty-one. A wildcat. Right what, what do you think about the, the the bypass? How wonderful is that? The bypass was a huge improvement for Kokomo. I've got to be honest with you. I was honestly sick of every time I introduced myself, and that's what I got was, <laughs> oh, the city with the stoplights. Oh I'm yeah. Like, yes. Well, Eric, tell her, tell her about it's our like argument a self-guided today. tour. What? Oh. Oh well. I, and and I, for I, the I'm record. Gonna, yeah. Go ahead. I apologize for interrupting. I just have to set the record straight. I am actually a tiger. I don't know. Oh, Northwestern. The only claim to fame out there. Austin played for Purdue. 
from 2000 to 04 and uh, was a Northwestern Tiger as well. So okay. I am not a Wildcat. Okay, yeah. No, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. I think of Kokomo. He has no idea. He has no idea. And Jimmy Rail. I apologize. Oh, Jimmy Rail was, you know, Jimmy Rail? he was uh, – he, but for my time, it was Austin. <laughs> let, let me. Can, I will tell you, Dane. The, Dane, you want me? To, you want me to tell the argument about the uh, the the Hollywood stuff we were talking about? The Hollywood stuff is that the argument reference? Yes, uh, the Duchess. Oh. Yes. So you do. Know, I we were having a conversation, and I threw out the idea that Margot Robbie is like the most beautiful woman in the world, besides my girlfriend, of course. Of course, and, and I would second that. And Dane said she's okay, but she's got she doesn't hold a candle to my wife. <laughs> that was really sweet. Then he sent me yeah. a bunch of pictures of you, so it got really weird. It got definitely really weird. I apologize about that. Wait, I mean, I guess, where do you go from there? You yeah, don't, do you don't go, go anywhere. You start recording. I, you yeah. Did you hang out at the Marklin Mall as much as we did? Because being in <laughs> Peru, we had nothing else to do but bum a ride from an older sibling and go hang out at the Marklin Mall. Yeah, the Marklin Mall was legit. And then the Kokomo Mall came in there, and then it was, you know, major competition there for a while. But, I mean, we were talking, like, Claire's versus, you know, like, Sabaro Pizza. Oh, yeah. That was really the extent of it. Yeah. And there was a music store in there. And I'm trying to remember the music store. It was right next to this random home goods store that had everything. It was... In the Marklin anyway, Mall? Yeah, by Elder Beerman. I'm trying to remember where it was at. It wasn't um, Sam Goody, but it was like the other one. Yes, yes. Of I'm those trying to remember what it was. Chain music Sam stores. Goody. That's hilarious. I love Sam Goody. <laughs> yeah. Wait, before yep. we let you go, do you have any yes. embarrassing story that you can share with us about your husband? Can you give us something good that's embarrassing? Embarrassing story about you. Oh, boy. There's I have probably a lot. I'm trying to think here. I should put my daughters on the phone because I'm yeah. sure they'd be happy to share. Oh, no. Embarrassing <laughs> story. you got to be Wait, something. Wait, let me think. Let me think. I mean, every day there's something. Every day. See, there's too much. radio appropriate. In, no, no, no. We want radio inappropriate. Radio inappropriate? Yeah. yeah. This Babe, is I'm trying to remember. Podcast. We're in a garage. Yeah, the FCC has no no jurisdiction here. Uh-oh. I, oh my gosh! I, you stumped me. I gotta no, think. That she wasn't attracted That's to right. me. Oh, that is a good point. He was very much friend zone for for a long period of time. I couldn't figure it out why he wanted to hang out with me. <laughs> like this guy will not leave me alone. What, did you just? Succumb he must really to the, want to be friends. Did you just succumb to the pressure? Like you just. It like, was the just... personality. I'm like Jesus. It's relentless. He was relentless. It was a lot. So yeah, but no, he. You know, there was a glimmer of hope there. Actually, I so Jared Odell, his his teammate, was getting married in Kokomo, so he's from Oak Hill area. Yeah, Oak Hill and, boy. Yeah, and then it, I I don't I shouldn't say that, but anyway, so yes, that Wait. is where it was. His reception was at Kokomo, and I'm like, I'm I'm in town. I'm going to be your date that weekend to Dane. Wow. And I met his parents that weekend, and wow. I'm like, oh my god, he's actually quite normal. He's not a jerk, and um. Yeah, so that that was was kind of like there was a glimmer of he's actually a normal, nice person and not an asshole or a stalker for that matter. So, (laughs) well, he might be, but he just was stalking you, so it was okay. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And how long have you guys been married? Oh my gosh. So let's see, May 26th of 2007. Mm. Wow. Mm. All right. So you're, Mm -hmm. you're, you're over 12 years. 
It feels like eternity. Um, <laughs> and honestly, everybody that I talk to is like, I don't know how you do it. And I often say the same things to myself. So it's fine. I'm glad I'm normal. These self chats are very normal. Do They're you, lining up with everybody else's. You, you're not a Michigan State fan, are you? Um, I, I, you know what? I am a Michigan State uh, fan. Uh, I, it's easy to be. However, growing up, no, they weren't on our radar just because we were, you know, Kokomo, Indiana, there's not much to do out in the cornfields, but play basketball. And so that's really what we did. We were huge, you know, Indiana basketball fans, Bobby Knight fans. Yeah. My dad was a huge fan growing up. And then, you know, never Purdue. My mom graduated from Purdue, but we just, it was anti-Purdue. I was a little nervous for you because up in our neck of the woods, you know, IU still dominates, but there's plenty of Boilermakers running around. There there are. And it's, it's, yeah, I, I just, I can't, I can't ever root with you. for per, per Purdue. What is, I just can't. What is Dane doing right now? He's just playing with your girls? Oh, do you want to know what Dane's doing yeah, right now? Yeah, I do. So I will tell you. Dane has a thing with um, anything that's sweet, like desserts, ice cream, candy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, that's him thinking it's funny to pick on our daughter. So, uh, yeah. So he actually, our neighbor is from Australia, and this is not an Australian dessert, but the husband loves these banana twins from Hostess. I've never heard of these things in my life. Um we just didn't do those growing up. We did a lot of the like, you know, the cupcakes, the double fudge cupcakes and oh, the ding-dongs yeah. and all that yes. Twinkies. Yeah, sure. Anyway, so they dropped off Australian cheese and these banana twins because they were insulted that we've never had these before. So he's actually opening up his third banana twin, I think. <laughs> he's shoving he's his face with them. Six deep right now. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, six tuplets. But, yeah, he's... um. No, it's funny. I have a dear friend whose mother-in-law was like, every time she thinks of marshmallows, it reminds her of Dane because the guy will be caught lighting a marshmallow over our stovetop on our gas fireplace Is that what he does? Because That's what Dane will do? Just turn on the gas fireplace and yeah, get roast roast some marshmallow? indoor marshmallows. It's no, totally normal. No ceremony. Um, just no, no fine. story. No s'more. Nope. Even, even By just himself, the marshmallow. It's like a random Tuesday in November. It's fine. It's fine. It's cause for celebration. So, yeah. That is mm. great. We've clearly been talking to the wrong Fife I for know. this podcast. We've got to do a podcast interview with you. Yeah, he's probably pretty boring. Yeah. I'm going mean, to be honest with you. Well, this is now our third time talking to him, and it's still not over. I mean, we can't even oh, get through his Sorry to hear career. that. So, are, yeah, it's, it's rough. Oh, I'm sure it's pretty interesting. The great thing is, is that I wasn't a part of that at all. I, I told him oftentimes there would have been no Blair and then no Quinley or Reagan had we been together in college. So this worked out great for me. Yes. Um, yeah. So this will probably be some new stories that I haven't heard either. Actually, I take that back. The man likes to record his own highlights on BTN <laughs> or old highlight tapes that his parents brought back when they were cleaning out his room yes. so we get you know i get the pleasure of watching watching those so i'm looking for a sub at any point in time you uh if, if we're coming through uh east lansing we'll we'll tap you out and give you a break that would be great yeah i will be you know the thing running if you want to get him mad the thing to say is that he really shouldn't have fouled jay williams in that duke game <laughs> 
It's so funny. I think we even have a picture of that somewhere. It's an eight by 10. I don't even know. It's somewhere. And it's, 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 he even has it signed. It's, it's, it's weird. It's kind of weird. <laughs> he has it signed, signed by own. Jay Williams or he signed it's, it? No, it's signed by Dane. I'm like, is this, <laughs> is this, it's like an oxymoron. It's weird. He signed the, his own eight by 10. Oh, I got to dig that out. I'm not Oh, not please. Yeah, text Will you us please a picture. Text, us, text me a picture of that. Please, please, please. It's, it's somewhere. Oh, that is so good. Yeah, it's somewhere deep, deep in the abyss, but I'll have to find it. Oh, that's good. Um, all right. Well, we're yeah, we've that taken was a classic. A, that is that is so good. That's all I need right there. That is <laughs> that's the embarrassing <laughs> story. Uh, we've taken up too much of your time. You've got kids there. Thanks oh, for no, talking to good. us. Uh, yeah. And, oh, this is great. And Thank tell you your guys. tell your husband next Apparently time he talks done. to us to just keep it focused so we can get done with this because we are tired of talking to him. You and you know what? I feel like I've shared those same sentiments, but yes, I will. I will tell him to try to focus, but good luck. I've been working on that for 16 years. So, all right. He's right here waiting with bated breath to speak to you guys again. So, thank you. Nice to meet you guys over the phone here. Take care. I'm really sorry, man. If you guys would have hurried up. No, no, that was preferable. We we like her more than you. Yeah, I think we're going to finish the podcast with just her ending it. Yeah, that's easy. That's easy. D- Dane, the next time we do finish this up, we are going to talk about the si- the, the self-signed 8x10 that you have of the Jay Williams file. <laughs> you know what it was? It was Jared Odell and I, um, I think, uh, I think uh, Indiana, the Peaks, uh, Indiana, who's your... Oh, yeah, we're very familiar. We're powered by. Yeah, we have a deal with them. So inside Indiana, right? No. Well, it started as inside Indiana. Then yeah. It so back Peaks. then, I think it was. Oh, okay. So they had a had Ed a sign. Or somebody had a sign, a bunch of photos. I think they did, because John Decker was part of it, and, and Ed Magoni, and one of those guys. There's my. That's the one non, not named after Quinn Buckner. She's named after President Reagan. Mm, um, nice. And she's loud which President Reagan wasn't. So um, so somebody had sent me that. I'm like, gosh, I, I lived it. I don't need a photo <laughs> of that memory. It's not special to me. And having my own autograph isn't special to me either. It's real so funny, anyway, though. It, well, it was funny, I guess. Um, well, as much as we're enjoying the cacophony that is the Fife household... Let's uh let's do one more. You know, there's yeah. there's four quarters in a, a football game. Why not in this interview? Ward, I'm sorry, man. I know you're mad. He is so angry, but he's been popping Zoloff for the last thirty minutes. It so he's feeling good. It doesn't bother me, now, man. <laughs> Eric, remember, it doesn't kick in forty eight oh, right. weeks. I'm sorry. Yeah, look, I didn't I didn't know I was going to be doing a podcast interview with two drug addicts. So you know. I just have to realize. Nice. Uh, the Let's... Duchess has to say something here. My name's not the Duchess, by the way. Um, one last thing. I just have an update. Uh, he actually polished off 10 of the banana twins. So that's that's actually 20. That, I think we're up to 20. He just ruined his There's dinner. twin wraps. Yeah, that's banana 10 snack twin. cakes. Just a quick update. Thank All right. you for Thank that. you, guys. Thanks. Have a good evening. hysterics. All right, oh, so, shoot. Dane, let's pick this up. Where we last left you. Par- in- partying in Bloomington. Partying in Bloomington after the Kent State victory where you helped lead the Hoosiers to their first Final Four in a decade. And I did want to ask, you, you grew up, obviously, a big sports fan. You had 
you knew Bobby Knight, you knew Indiana basketball. Did you and your teammates think at all about the fact that you had now led Indiana back after all the tumultuous times that, that you had been through with Coach Knight's removal, that you were going back to the Final Four, a place where Indiana fans thought was our birthright, that this is where we should be. Did did that mean anything to you at the time, or were you just laser-focused on, we've got a, a game to play in a few days? You know what, it did. And I'm not sure if I mentioned it earlier, but, you know, after uh, one of our um, – games the, the one that we lost to Purdue um and I was thrown out of practice for being a loud mouth and I deserved it um the 5 30 practice I was thrown out of um 5 30 a.m um eastern time um, <laughs> so I uh you know honestly and not to pat myself on the back but um yeah, I was taught real young of just about that, that you play to win. You play to win first and winning um, for for your team and doing the things that help your team win, um, it matters. And that was one of the things that was important to me was um, winning a championship for Coach Knight because we were well aware of the heat that he was under. Right. And the heat being, uh, well, he hasn't won in a long time. You know, he's, you know, we got knocked out um, of the tournament. I think they've been knocked out quite a bit prior to my arrival in the first and second rounds. You know, yeah. Colorado had been having been the previous year. Uh, so I wrote a handwritten note to coach night uh, after I'd been thrown out of practice. And I remember I was in tears and I, and I wrote it. And it was a long note, and the gist of it was, I apologize for my behavior in the practice. Um, in some respects, and you know, back to the basics of, I came here to play for you, came here to be a champion, and I want nothing more to, than to win a national championship with you and for you. And so, when we beat Kent State, or should I say, when we whipped Kent State, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the first thing that came to mind was, you know, this is, this is per, from a personal standpoint, this is what I set out to do. And, um, one of the things that, that we'd constantly said is, you know, this is, this is Indiana's team. This is our team, but you know, this is, this is part of, of coach Knight's team too. And we felt that way. And, um, that is no disrespect to to the staff that we had because Coach Davis and Trelaw were were they they would speak in the same respects in private conversations with the team and and in some cases public conversations, but that for us at least for me and I think for guys like Kyle Hornsby and um, he you know Jared Jeffries had grown up wanting to play for Indiana. Um, you know, and several other guys, most of those guys had, had been recruited when coach Knight was still the head coach, like right. Moyer and obviously Newton and Leach, Odell, um, big red. And, yeah. and, and so this was, this was, uh, you know, this was a, a really important time for us and there was still work to do. And, and I really just think we, at that point, we finally realized like, 
this team's pretty damn good. Hmm. I mean, in spite, you know, after beating Duke, you know, we, we knew we were good. But I think after that, we felt like this, this team is, has really come together. And that was really the first time I understood what a true team was about um, with, that, with that team. Dane, just to clear up the timeline, the letter that you wrote apologizing, you're talking about a practice after a Purdue game your sophomore year? Yeah, I yeah. think it was our – it might have been my freshman year. I really can't remember. Okay, um, but you're talking – But we about, lost at home to got Purdue. It. Got it. And I think it was my freshman year. Got it. And, um, gosh, that was funny. <laughs> so, yeah, that practice – You didn't tell us about that, so walk us through that a little bit. I, I might have said it already. I can't remember. Um, but Coach Knight, uh, we 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 lost the game because we missed a couple challenges on shots. And the last shot that Jerron Cornell hit to seal to ice the game was a, um, un, you know, it was an uncontested shot for three. And so Coach Knight had us in a line, and Coach Knight was pretty sick that day. He came walking out. I think he was shirtless but he had one of those herbal wraps around his neck okay did i tell you this story no no by the way you might have it was like six years ago we started this yeah it was was. 2014 (laughs) i think i maybe not been at michigan state yet (laughs) uh, so so we were all on the line and uh, a, a manager would pass us the ball and then coach knight would come and challenge the shot that we'd shoot and so shirtless with an herbal wrap yeah well i think he that was at the start of practice this was uh midway okay so he by this point he's fully naked i get it (laughs) yeah (laughs) rolling around on a leather chair so we're shooting shots and he's right up in our face his hand you know he's six five you know pretty pretty well built and uh challenging our shots and they're not even close and you know uh record being records yeah so this was my freshman year his record was was still there so record being record hits the shot in his face and kind of does a record like celebration where (laughs) boom (laughs) (laughs) something like that and then so he gets real upset and starts a couple more guys go and he, Coach Knight was really getting in their face then, trying to challenge the shot, blocking some. And next thing you know, Mike Lewis steps up, the great Mike Lewis, Dennis Michael Lewis, <laughs> steps up. He shot fakes Coach Knight. <laughs> and Coach Knight catches Mike's foot and just goes straight down to the ground. Feet out from under him, <laughs> face down. Lewis looks at us. I'm holding my face so I don't smile. Like, oh man, Lou. Lou looks back at Coach. Goes down to help him up. By this time, managers are scrambling. <laughs> Lou taps him on his back. Coach, sorry, let me help you. Coach just mumbles, grumbles. I don't need you helping me up. Get away from me. <laughs> Rolled over and it was the it was the it was quite a grumble and a grunt and he rolled over. It just he was hurting that day, man, and, and Lewis didn't help him much with the uh, with the shot fake. <laughs> but 
he rolled over and eventually got up. But that was um, that was obviously before I got the boot. Yeah, yeah. And so back to the letter, uh, like I said, I, I, I just felt like we'd come that far. Um, and, you know, for my again, for my own career, it was really what I'd wanted, you know, a chance to. You know, once you get to the final four, you really feel like you have a chance to play for the national championship. Otherwise, you know, it's it's just far off in the distance. Right. So that was a good moment for me and, and for our team, for sure. Now, when you're getting geared up, uh, practiced up, mentally ready to go to the final four, <clears throat> are you just in a great mood? Is that just such a fun, exciting time? Or is there a, a pressure starting to build that, that creates an edge? I would say for me, and I'm sure it was nerves for, for some, but for me it was fun. Um, you know, the, 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 obviously the older you get, but the older you get in college, junior, senior, the upperclassmen, you know the tricks of the trade. You're kind of a gritty old vet, Jake Taylor style from yeah. Major League for anybody that sure. was probably born in the 90s. <laughs> Mrs. Fife does not does not know who Jake Taylor is. Oh boy. Uh-oh. She said she gave me the throat thing like quit talking. So um this felt felt like, you know what, we've we've played in these situations against these great teams. You know, we beat Illinois. We uh Ohio State was a really good team. Wisconsin was a really good team. Michigan State was a really good team. And then you move on into the tournament. And you know what? We were just a little starstruck by Duke. We were as good as Duke, not in individual talent, but in in team. And Kent State uh, was, was another team that was a really good team. And then we saw Oklahoma, and we just thought, we've beaten teams that are better than this team. And, uh, you know, we weren't sure on Maryland or Kansas who we'd play, but it was the same thing. I mean, we beat a team with basically seven lottery picks, and we weren't scared of anybody at that point. I guess now would be a good time to ask you about the coach you defeated in the Final Four and his impact on your alma mater. What are your feelings this many years later about Coach Sampson and his time at Indiana? You know what? Coach Sampson got the job. I, I'm not sure if I'd actually met him before outside of that game. I made a phone call to Coach Sampson, and it was right during um, what, what would have been a, oh, 05, 06, right, right around there. And the United States military was involved in the, in the wars and uh, deep involved in uh, in Iraq, we were having all sorts of problems, and um, a uh, buddy of mine and and Blair's was coming home from Iraq for for a little while, and I called Coach Sampson, left a message on his phone, and I asked him if he he would mind giving Kyle a call uh, to welcome him home. And Kyle was he's a big Indiana basketball fan, and and so um, 
you know what? Coach Sampson, Kelvin Sampson's a great coach. He's always treated me well. And he's he he's gone out of his way to say hello and remember my name. That's that's a big deal to anybody. It'd be like um uh Lucas remembering your name, Eric, or uh you know, um E. T. saying hello to you. Yeah, something yeah, like it'd that. It'd be a big deal. It'd be a big um, deal if E. T. said hello to me. Um, yeah. You know, Catherine Zeta Jones saying, Hey, what's up, Eric? Yeah. You know, happy holidays. Wait, real quick, though, to put a button on your, your Coach Sampson story with your friend. He did call him, and that meant a lot to your friend? Yeah, it meant I just, you know what, as, as we all know, um, mistakes were made. Um, you know, I think he, he came in and um, he coached his style. He coached his way. He got the players that he wins with. And I also think that, uh, as I said, he obviously made some mistakes, but we're, we're still dealing with the today, the comparisons to Coach Knight. And the same will happen with Coach Izzo in terms of, well, he doesn't do it like Coach Knight. He doesn't, his style's not like Coach Knight. You know, the same will happen when Coach Izzo decides to retire, and the same will happen when Coach K decides to retire. Yeah. You know, it's it. You're walking into a situation where the odds are uh, they're more than stacked against you. I mean, it's it's 85, 80 percent. I mean, you know, if he doesn't make those mistakes, that when you look at it, um, you know, the phone calls, the the the, the, the t-shirts, they're they're minuscule still. And I'm not diminishing the fact that rules were broken, but they're minuscule still to to what really goes on. Sure. Well, they're not and even. And what really goes on rules. in the college basketball world? It's not even. It, you know, the the shame of it is that they've since changed those rules. They wouldn't even be violations now. Some of the no, they'd be slaps on the wrist, and you know, they. Yeah, it it would be. Um, it would. It wouldn't go far today. Right, and you see people get getting off the hook when there's there's legitimate there's legitimate proof. Right, and and what's funny is most of the college basketball world knows who these people are. Yeah, that that is the most from a. I want to get back to it? the end of your career. So, here. I suppose it's about the green. Yeah, I was going to say, Dane, the, the most frustrating thing for me as a fan is that we hear that a lot, that, like, everybody inside knows who the real perpetrators of the bad stuff are, and it doesn't seem like that matters. Like, those guys continue to and, – and some guys on the fringes get busted here and there. But, you know, it just seems to kind of – it just kind of goes on without – any real repercussions for what seem to be the people that are the most egregious perpetrators of this stuff. But I do want to go back if we can, just for a second, because the end of your playing career at Indiana is so remarkable for a couple different reasons. And just to take a, a step back. So the Duke game, sweet 16, like you said, you're playing the best team in the country by all the rankings, all these lottery picks. You, you guard, for the majority of that game, you guard Mike Dunleavy and Jay Williams. Mike Dunleavy, 5 of 16 shooting, 5 turnovers. 
Jay Williams way off his game. You played incredible defense on him. Then you go to Kent. You play Kent State for a chance to go to the Final Four, and you lead the team in scoring at 17 points, five of six threes. You get revenge on your old uh, high school uh, foes, which is great. But then you go to a Final Four game where, again, you're playing against a team that is considered by rankings higher and better. You guard Hollis Price, their star, for the majority of that game. He goes one for 11 shooting. I mean, this run of games, it's like Dane Fife putting his stamp on Indiana University basketball uh, one final time. And then, of course, you get to play in the national title game against Maryland with two studs on the team and a very good team. Ward loves talking about this Maryland game. I hate talking about it. So I'll turn it over to Ward to let him ask questions about this game. Oh, I love it. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, it's how much of it. it it's such an accomplishment. It's amazing. There's like, you know, uh, you went to the national championship and it's right there. You got to the final four. This amazing run Eric speaks of. And then you lose that game. How do you how how does that live with you? Here we are, you know, 17 years later. How much of that whole run are you just like that's such happy, exciting, fun memories? And how much does it hurt or sting because of how it ended? Well, for me, it stings just because you've got five stars up in Assembly Hall and we were right there for that sixth. I mean, the, the eight-minute mark is, I don't know if it's exactly that, but yeah. we, we pushed ahead. Yep. And it's kind of how it always seemed to unfold for us in, in games where, in games that we knew would be in the balance or it'd be a hard game to win. And I didn't expect us or anticipate us to lose that lead and, and lose the game after that. Um but I think in the in the end, uh, sitting in that locker room, Governor O'Bannon, I believe he was still the governor, but he was in there. Uh, it was hard to really process the fact that to, to be upset. It was upset because we lost. It was upsetting because we lost. But it, it was uh, it was a situation where I felt that. And I, and I understand today, but I felt like we shouldn't have been there. I felt n- not not because we didn't deserve to be there, but it just un- it happened so fast. I mean, we were one of four teams or three teams that won the Big Ten uh, championship uh, regular season. We got beat by Iowa, um, but it but it just unfolded so quick. Uh, the the tournament and then there's Duke and Kent State and then we're going and it was just a blur because there's so many things to do so many you know the ticket situation was was hectic Uh, the constant interviews and traveling it it was hard to really grasp but looking at it uh, 17 years ahead um Man, I'd like to have that last 10 minutes back. Yeah. And, uh, it, but it was something where that team, you know, if you look at that Maryland team, 
they were loaded too. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had the two studs. I'm not sure. I know your Juan Dixon's one of them. But I mean, Juan was averaging 31 points. I think 31 points during the tournament. And uh, still a little upset at Hornsby for giving up probably seven or eight of his points. So I think he finished with maybe 17. But mm-hmm. we'll give Horny we'll give Horny 10 of those points. <laughs> that way I can have seven. Yeah, sure. But sure. he had a big shot. He had two. I think that really did. He may have hit some free throws later in the game, but the only two shots he hit in the second half were that three-pointer that was to go back ahead of us and then that step-back shot. That was a heck of a shot. But um, you know what? I, I just – what I felt after that game was these people, our fans, our fan base, our alumni base. Yes, you too, Eric. Thank you. Um, Thank you for including me. They, they're, they're proud of what we did. They believe in Indiana again, Indiana basketball. Um, we are their guys. You know, we are their sons. We are their their people. You know, JJ, Newt, Moye, that's that's what Indiana, Fife, Coverdale, Hornsby, Odell. I got to say, Michael, Boss Roberts, new assistant. <laughs> um, you know, the Scott Mays, the, the Quinn Buckners, the Kent Bensons. You know, Calvert Cheney, Steve Alford, the legendary Uwe Blob, Daryl Thomas, Keith Smart, those guys, you know, in the end is, is those people are why you do it. You know, what, what is the, the driving force that it, when it becomes not about us as individuals, not us as the current team, but the driving force is doing it for a, a lot of people that in some cases Ward are legitimately counting on you to win so they can get out of bed the next day. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think something that doing this podcast over the last year and talking to you and a lot of your teammates from that run and even going back to the Bluebird and seeing quite a few of them there is how important that team and that run really continues to be for for the fans for people like Eric and I and for the program as a whole it was you know the last great run and that all you guys and talking about the tournament run of course the duke game but getting all the way to that championship it has been embraced like a team that won the national championship and we all wish there was that sixth banner there but the way it lives in lore and how you guys are revered and embraced for what you did i think maybe it 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 is up there with the championship teams because of the extraordinary circumstances you guys were born out of with Coach Knight being fired. It it makes it one of the truly all-time special teams. And Eric and I, we're only a couple years older than you guys, so you're, you're you know, our generation's great team. And, uh, you know, you guys should feel pride forever because you gave it to us and unfortunately we've had to cling on to it for 17 years with no more real real recent example of a team that got got deep in the tournament but hopefully that's going to change soon (laughs) yeah well i i would say that we were a group that represented 
blue collar. You know, I, I was yep. a McDonald's All American, but I didn't really look like it, play like it. Some people might say I acted like it. That's fine. But, you know, we had one superstar, JJ, who really didn't act like a, you know, a, a spoon fed, uh, me first kind of kid. And he, he, that, he was still just a kid. He was young. And not to say that the rest of us were men because we weren't, but just you see us in class, you see us. On the street, you see us at Nick's. We really just want to be treated normal and hang out. You know, you look back at guys like Calvert Chaney, Damon Bailey, Eric Anderson. If you can get over the the TV image that they that essentially is created by your your entertainment business, Eric, um, <laughs> they are just regular guys. We are just regular guys. May Dane. not seem like it, but Dane. I mean, Damon Bailey is as Dane. kind a person as I've ever known. Dane, you're not regular. I know. Yeah, you're Th- not a regular. Those other guys might be. <laughs> Dane, don't don't include yourself <laughs> with those normal guys. But normal, normal uh, is probably a lofty expectation, a lofty word for me personally. But uh, I was trying to lump myself in with the, <laughs> the rest of the group, wasn't I? <laughs> but but you but you know what Dane it, you're right about you when you mentioned that you guys were blue collar for for me when I watched you guys play when I watched you you specifically and your teammates the emotion that you played with the you just looked like you loved being there and for Indiana fans I don't think there's anything more that we want than to know that the players we're watching that are wearing the candy stripes love it as much as we do. And your team seemed like, I mean, you were the personification of that. And, and it was, it wasn't just the result because there have been teams that, that won, obviously we haven't had a team to go to the title game, but how you guys did it, how you played is what left the mark. And, And again, that Maryland team, just to, to rehash it for a second, Juan Dixon, Steve Blake, Lonnie Baxter, Chris Wilcox. I mean, Chris Wilcox was a freak. I mean, yeah. his NBA career didn't go, I think, as many people thought it would. But he was a freak how good he was. Ridiculous. Lonnie, Lonnie Baxter was a, a big dude. Steve Blake, what, he played in the NBA for 40 years? I mean, like, <laughs> the guy, the, the, you had four legitimate stars on that team starting five. So you, you ran into a buzzsaw. Um, that season ends. Your career at Indiana is over, and you have a chance – to go play professional basketball in the CBA for the Gary franchise, correct? The Gary Steelheads, yeah. What did at this point in your life did you think professional basketball was going to be a decent career for you, or did you just not want playing basketball to end? You know what? I I, I guess looking back, the the game, um, you know, I'd lost something. I, I lost something in terms of improving at the game itself. And I think the reason was is because of the things we talked about earlier with the mental aspects of, of, you know, shooting and, you know, the the dribbling and the finer points of it. What I really loved was competing and 
you know, I wasn't a bad player, but I found my jump shot. You know, I loved to compete. I loved, as you know, you guys probably always hear the the aspects of the hanging with the, the guys, the locker room, the fun, the, you know, preparing to beat an opponent, arguing with a coach, which I was good at. <laughs> and, and you know what? We're all kind of, I suppose, a little nervous entering into the real world. And I was pretty naive. I knew I was pretty naive as far as, uh, being around and experiencing the worst parts of what people can do. Uh, I'd always been around, very fortunate to be around and surrounded by just really good people. And, you know, I was, wor- I was worried about going into the real world as, like I said, I'm sure everybody is when they graduate college. And I'm, I'm my still comfort putting zone it was basketball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My comfort zone was basketball, and um, I tried out for the Rockets in the summer, and um, I felt like I was pretty close. You know, I was pretty close to making that team, I felt, and the, the feedback that I received was stick with it. There is a chance. You have a chance. Keep getting better. You know, find, you know, in the in the CBA, the niche would be, you know, prove you can make shots from the NBA three. Right. Uh, prove you can, you know, get up and down and prove you can guard somebody. Um, and I knew I could do all that. So I went to the went to Gary with pretty high expectations for myself. And it just, you know, through the. Uh, I loved Gary. Like I look back on that six, eight months and yeah, Gary, those are my people. That's my peeps. Mm -hmm. Um, guys would get done from, from the factory and they'd, they'd come watch the games. And, um, it was, it was the Genesis center was great. And I, and I think, uh, the Harris's, the owners for, (laughs) for bringing me to their program. But it just, you know, through the through the bus rides where the exhaust pipe was seemingly turned inward <laughs> to your to your, and it wasn't a big bus; it was a um, short bus, more or less a ref- <laughs> a short. It was it was a refurbished airport shuttle with, I think, it was spray paint instead of uh, the normal paint used on automobiles. <laughs> And it had by a big the way, fish on the side. By the way, we hear some good Blair laughing in the background. You oh, got yeah. Blair rolling yeah. right now. That was because uh, she knows the story of meeting her, is, or not meeting her, but um, talking her into um, appearing in public with me was about to happen after that. Yeah. Uh, after the Gary experience. But, um, you know, the <laughs> we drive everywhere on that bus and. Just know people are looking at the fish and saying, who, who are those guys? And, uh, Why are they here? You know, the late night 2 a.m. stops at the gas, 15-minute stops at the truck stops, and you get back on the bus, and, oh, man, 
the the smell of marijuana was was um, ripe. It was like we we had a farm in back, <laughs> and I've never smoked, never have. Say that with pride, but man, the mixture of exhaust fumes <laughs> and secondhand marijuana smoke, and and yeah, yeah. it. I mean, it wasn't even on. I think it was in back. <laughs> it was rough. That's the minor leagues. The, the right? good. The good news is it cured your anxiety issues. You didn't have to worry. You know what? I did seem to sleep a little better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. On the bus. And I do think we came up with your band name during this, the Gary Experience. Oh, that's good. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love that. But you got to somehow. Uh, or the Gary Bus. Ah, that's that might be better, but. Oliver Miller, the great Oliver yeah, Miller, sure. who was winding down his career. Oh, how big was he when you were playing with him? Um, he was he was in in tip top size. <laughs> <laughs> he was peaking. Yeah, but you know what? He was so talented. His hands were huge. He'd take that ball out. And he'd one one arm throw it. Just zip it down the court. Um, very nice. Very kind guy. He had this high-pitched voice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's stretching. Um, I won't use the guy's name, but the guy was out a little later than you could tell. He out a little later, and Big O said, I'll call him Jim, wasn't you? I'll call him, I'll call him Ward. Yeah. Hey, Ward. He said, hey, Ward. What, you been, what were you doing last night? Ward said, nothing, man. He said, Ward. You've been tiptoeing. You've been tiptoeing, Ward. Using Ward and tiptoeing. I didn't know what tiptoeing was. I don't know what tiptoeing is. And uh, yeah, I still, I guess I, I could draw conclusions, I mean, but yeah, I, his voice. And then uh, I'll tell you, Big O got mad at me one time. He was back to Jim. He was giving Jim some some grief about tiptoeing, and, and Jim was getting upset. And we're in the locker room after the game. I said. I, see, the original Big Sexy was Richie, was Oliver Miller before it became Richie Sexton. Okay. And there, I, I started calling O Big Sexy before. And so I said, Big Sexy, man, quit. Leave him alone, man. Fife, stay out of it. <laughs> the big O, man. Made him mad. Fife, one more word, and I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> and... I said, whatever big, and this locker room was tiny. It was tiny. It was just a, it was about, I don't know, 20 feet by six feet. And next thing I know, I got Big O throwing his size 22 shoe at me. (laughs) And... He was wide right, and I, of course, called it a, I called it a strike. <laughs> strike one. I guess it might have been, should have been a ball. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But a couple guys laughed. That made him mad. Next thing I know, big O takes shoe number two. <laughs> puts a little more speed on it. Hangs on to it a little long. Hits the ground, hits the ground just before me. <laughs> And again, I should have called it a ball, but I said in the dirt. 
And before I could look up, Big O's charging at me. Oh, shh. I mean, this is a 300-pound man charging at you. And that 300 pounds is, I'm being generous here. 300 plus. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. Again, I, I think O's probably in better shape now, but you know, life on the road in the minor leagues is rough. Yeah. So wait, he's charging at you. What? What? Yeah. What? What happens? Uh, well, I'm still here. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're telling you beat him up? You you won that fight? I don't fight clean. <laughs> how Some many guys? How many guys just... jumped in to pull him off of you? One, okay. and I legitimately owe him my life. <laughs> it was Ward, wasn't it? Because you were sticking no, up for it him. It was. It was the great Ronaldo Thomas who coached at Gary Lou Wallace, wow. Brandon Dawson, and also played with Phi Slamma Jamma. Wow. And he was an assistant, no Gary Product, he was an assistant on our, for our team. Hmm. And uh, I own my life. Wow. <laughs> and I still have nightmares about it. And then I have to wake up and figure out, like, okay, that was so close. What would I have done? Like, you can't go high. You've got to go low. You can't go high. No, you got to go right to the crotch. I mean, that's what you got to do. You just got to go. Yeah. You got to kick them right in the stones. Kneecaps, maybe. Yeah, and and you, you've got to maybe get you sideswipe. You can't be square to them either. I mean, he's just so big. You might have to bite him. You might have to go full biting. Uh, there would be no doubt. Yeah. And <laughs> right then, I just. You know, and, and since then, I've always thought, like, joking around, you know, somebody, hey, you know, you know, putting putting fists up, and like, hey, man, just so you know, I don't fight clean. <laughs> like, you protect your eyes and your jewels. You know, there's, there's nothing off limits here if you want to roll. Just make sure you hit me good because you're going to lose an eye or something else. My, my favorite part. But because. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's life, life or death, I mean, yeah. you're fighting to win. I mean, this isn't this isn't boxing. You you can't. We're hey, fighting. to quote to quote Big O, you can't be tiptoeing. <laughs> no, that's perfect, right? You better not be tiptoeing. <laughs> By the way, my favorite part of the story is that he threw the second shoe. I mean, I've I've never heard of you throw one. I get it. You're angry. Yeah. You throw one, yeah. but then you've got to make like a calculated decision that you're going to go throw the second. Like no one gets a second shoe thrown at them. It's always one no. shoe, and then it leads to something. But he threw both shoes. I love that. Well, didn't President Bush get? <laughs> He got a shoe. I know it was. He, did he, he dodged, get two? And he dodged him both. I think it might have been quick. two. It or like it might have been somebody else's shoe. Maybe you throw somebody else's yeah. shoe and not both of yours. The G, President GW had a had a little matrix going on when he avoided those. Yeah. He, he, it was beautiful. It was. All right. He, it, it never, never stopped smiling either. No. So you play a year in Gary, and you then, the, the alma mater comes calling. Is that how that worked? How they came do, calling? How, how do you come back to Indiana? You know what? I was um, I was pretty shocked. You know, I was the normal thing to do back then, at least, was to go work at camp and just hope and pray that maybe somebody can give you a GA spot or give you something. I applied for three head jobs, <laughs> including Penn State. No, I don't think it was Penn. I think I applied for an assistant job. Uh, Ed DeShellis had gotten the job after. Uh, uh, maybe Jerry Dunn, 
but I applied for that assistant job, and they hadn't hired a head coach yet. I applied for the Cleveland State head job. Wait, what do you mean you applied? How do you apply for a head coaching job? You, you get on, you, you, I don't know, you, you write the AD a letter. <laughs> and uh, I think I was all set to go work Kansas and Duke's basketball camps. And at Self was at Kansas. And obviously Coach K. Yep. Um, and... I was trying to get in, you know, just I was going to get a spot at Michigan State's camp. My mom had used her uh, Delta points to give me those flights. And then Coach Davis called out of the blue. And, uh, you know, Terry Claypack, I think, was maybe the interim AD or the vice president. or um, And then um, there was a donor that, because GAs didn't exist back then. And there was a donor that um, donated some money for me to be a GA. Wow. Did, did it, you, was, it wasn't you, was it, Eric? It was not me, no. Did you have any um, – were you in constant conversation or regular conversation with Coach Davis at that time? Or when you say he called you out of the blue, was it the first time you had heard from him in a while? No, I, I guess what I meant was out of the blue is, hey, I want you to come back and be a GA. Right. And – you know what? It was, it was, it was a blessing. I mean, it was just a huge relief, right? Because I just I wasn't ready to go. I don't know, work at a desk or be it be an intern at a place that I wasn't familiar with, or, or have to be far away from my roots. And so it just it really was a blessing. And were you already determined? to be a coach at that point? Or was this like, hey, let me see if this is, in fact, the path I want to take? You know, I was pretty determined. I just, I wasn't sure it was. I wanted to coach in college. And um, I knew, or I had, I was pretty confident uh, in my ability to teach the game, um, to work with different types of personalities. I just wasn't sure, um, you know, like everybody else, I, I wanted to skip a few steps. Sure. Uh, but I, I believed in my ability to, to teach the game, you know, and I think the one thing, thing that is hard, especially at college is, you know, scheduling and, and the input that people in, in many cases are, they're so delusional and you don't have anything to hold over anybody's head like the pros, like money. Right. So you're, you're, what was it like being on the bench, not playing and watching other people wear the jersey that you had worn and took to the championship game. Including former teammates. Yeah, and not being able to get out there yourself and do it. Was that a frustrating first kind of entree into coaching for you and how to how to handle that your competitive spirit and how to keep it at, uh, at bay somewhat? I'd say that's fair. You know, it certainly was frustrating. And you think learning coaching, now you forget – you forget as a coach what it was like when 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 you're a player and then 
also forget what it's like being a freshman player or a sophomore player. Right. And, you know, we had young guys, Bracey Wright, uh, Wilmot. We had Marshall Strickland. Um, you know, we had the older guys, George Leach, I think was still there. I think, uh, um, you know, we had Tate Pack and Johnson the one year that did a good job for us. Tate Pack won the Notre Dame game. We were bringing in new guys like Killingsworth and and uh, Monroe, and um, they had a chance to. I, I remember right when I came back, it was um, Luol Dang and Charlie Villanueva yeah. together on a visit. Um, and then we were doing the and Odin and and Conley stuff and Deontay Vaughn and. Um, Don't forget Josh Smith. Wasn't he part of that? Josh Smith. Josh Smith was a yeah. He was a part. He was. He's he went. He was right out of high school, right? Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just a lot of moving parts, and and Coach Davis was trying to discover, you know, what he really wanted to, uh, what what type of player and the area he really wanted to recruit and. You know, he, he recruited mainly the South. You know, he brought in Hornsby and Moye, Newt, Leach. And, of course, you got a bunch of kids right there in your backyard in Indiana. And, you know, the Luke, Luke Heron, Goaty got away. And, obviously, old Conley got away. But, uh, you know, it was it was tough losing the, the identity. I mean, when – Myself and Cove and JJ. JJ left with me and Odell. Yep. You know those are guys that that carried on an identity, and there's just a major wind of change that came. That you know, I think even as a first-time head coach, Coach Davis probably didn't understand was identity. Right. You know, you gotta, you gotta. And I know he understands it now, but you got to understand what what Indiana's or what your team's identity, what makes your team great. And, and maybe Coach did understand. And you know, Josh Smith, Lee Bracy left. Uh, guys leaving early was was and Jeffrey's leaving early. That that's hard to recover from. It really is. Dane, this may be a weird question, but we we spent time with Coach Davis, who, you know, no one says a bad word about Coach Davis. And and after our several hours with him, we just fell in love with the guy. I mean, he was just so gracious and classy. And And never fails to use turn signals, we found out. (laughs) He doesn't like to leave a turn (laughs) signal on for about 40 minutes. But (laughs) such a great guy. And he told us about his story and his background. And, I mean, he came from, you know, Alabama and had no money growing up and and really even past his basketball playing career where he spent time in the CBA. Didn't really have any money. His first coaching job paid him like $300 for the year at some small school in Alabama. Your team, your 2002 team, that run to the championship game, besides what it did for fans, it very practically – changed Mike Davis's entire trajectory of his life. It got him in a, a huge multi-million dollar extension. It it set him up, even though the Indiana job didn't work out, it clearly led 
to him taking the UAB job in Texas Southern and now, you know, at Detroit. But it it fundamentally changed he his life and his family's life from a from a financial perspective and security perspective. And that was due to your team. You ever think about the <laughs> impact that that had on that man who, by the way, if ever a man deserved it, it was him for what he's gone through in his life. But you ever think about that? Yeah, I'd like to um, someday wake up and see my bank account <laughs> have a little more money in it. Coach Davis. <laughs> you know, the, the, uh, I will say, though, and during camp I did uh, – take several shirts i didn't steal them (laughs) i felt like they were owed to me so i i claimed my property yes i I took a few indiana jerseys they were replica of course just reversible but um you know what it was an honor to play for him and i as a 21 year old was very supportive because we trusted him and we trusted coach Trelor. Mm-hmm. Now, how does that factor into big business? I don't care. You know, I, I cared about my team, our program and what was best for our program. And I was, you know, we, we were plugged into the media and we were reading potential candidates and, when you play for someone that you trust, when you work for someone that you trust, um, that's powerful. You know, trust obviously is, is powerful. And, and Coach Davis and Trelor were people that we all supported. And there were big names, but we didn't care. That didn't impress us. Um, so Coach Davis is a really, really good ball coach. I mean, bottom line. He knows what he's doing when it comes to the game of basketball. He knows what what he's doing when it comes to um, connecting with kids from from all over the place, all races, across the board. He knows how to connect with people. But you know, he's he's not a good BSer. Right. <laughs> right. And and so that's sometimes I think he'd have to take. Um, maybe a, a lesser player or a kid that, as, as you guys mentioned, you know, they, they know India, they, they recognize, they would recognize that maybe Indiana's a great program, but there was nothing that would really grip them other than, oh, okay, Indiana's a good program. Right. It's Indiana. Okay. Well, I think you mentioned, you did mention it earlier, the, the powerful product, the most powerful products that Indiana put out, teams that Indiana had were kids that, players that that loved being there, that yes. were dying to be there in the first place. Yep. And, and you can I tell. Th- you can think tell. It's, and I think it's hard to find anywhere now. I think we have a couple coming in next so year. so much. Well, I, I think in any program it's hard to find because it's become so much about what the program can do for the, the kid and the promises, the recruiting. You know, recruiting's brutal out there. And, and then in, in addition, it's um, 
they're given so much at such a young age. It's uh, it just nothing nothing. The, the the seems like the dollar is the bottom line. I'm going to go here as a means to get to the league and get wealthy. Right. You know, my dream was to play for Bob Knight at Indiana, win a national championship. I didn't think too much about the NBA. Yeah. Uh, I knew I had to say, you know, what's your goal? Well, let's play in the NBA. But uh, my first dream was to win a high school championship for my dad. And hmm. I think that we all wanted to go to the NBA and Jared Jeffries had to go. I don't think he necessarily wanted to go at that time. I don't know, but he had to go. But I know Tom Coverdale loved Indiana. Jared Odell, Brian Evans, um, all those guys. Chaney, Bailey, you know, not all the careers worked out the way they thought, but that's really where you get, um, you know, something, an extra push on your on your team. And I think, it, it, you know, obviously you guys can recognize that. It is. It's funny because we, as fans, we talk about wanting that. It's hard to quantify it. You know, it doesn't show up in a stat sheet somewhere. But Dane, you're a coach of a major, one of the top, you know, five programs in the in the country, and you telling us that that stuff actually does matter for a team is it's important for us to hear because you know, as fans, we want it to mean something for the team's success. But hearing you say it. When you have guys who want to be there to play for Tom Izzo or to play for Michigan State, it it ups the ante a little bit, right? It does. The problem is, is as, as I said, they're hard to get, and they're hard to get because we've had five or six kids that were ready to commit and were talked out of it or manipulated into not committing not coming to Michigan State for just, trust me, they were bizarre reasons. So we, we had a kid, though, believe it or not, a recruit that, that said he didn't want to be turned into a 1978 power forward. And I think you guys know me well enough by now that <laughs> prompted me to go look up the 1978 power forwards. Yeah. And I don't want to bore you with that, but... If you'll just trust me on this, I called the kid and said, my gosh, my man, you should pray every day that you turn into a 1978 power forward. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Who, who, I mean, I am curious. Is, are we talking like Moses Malone in 1978 power forward? Moses, uh, Hawkins. Hawkins, yeah. Uh, right. uh, I'll put, I'll even... That's just... my wife. My wife threw out James Worthy and and uh, McGinnis. I mean, yeah, there were yeah. just. I, I mean, it was it was so ridiculous. But yes. you know what? I shouldn't even have responded because I know it wasn't him. Right. Exactly. Somebody gave somebody manipulated him and gave him that line. Yeah, and and you wonder for what? Why would you? Why would you lie or say something that? And not ask us, which means there's there's BS behind it. Of course. Well, and so that's you know that that's not proof enough, right? Of but course. Those those are the kind of things that 
the kids that are dying to be there, you're missing out, and there's there's not many. But the kids that are dying to be at the place, I mean, who would you, would you expect a kid from from Indianapolis? Yes, to to love Indiana, to want to go to Indiana. But once you get outside of Indiana, I mean, how many how many kids would you expect? And and you know, when coach when Coach Izzo leaves Michigan State. It's not going to be the same. Right. It's not going to have the star power. It's not going to be constantly generated, generating attention, most likely. The same happened with Coach Knight. I mean, iconic coaches are going to be few and far between just because of the way it's, it goes now. Well, let's and talk, that plays a role. Let's talk about a budding iconic coach who leaves its GA position at Indiana to take his first head coaching job at the recently minted Division I program, IPFW. The, the Mastodons. Why, why at the ripe old age of 25 did you say this is the time and this is the place? You know what? Um, I'd spent time up in Fort Wayne at different events, and I was relatively familiar with the school. Um I didn't quite understand what a difficult situation it was. And, you know, just financially, I mean, it really is about resources. And you can, you can get a team to play well and play well enough to win a lot of games, but to sustain a program, build a program, it's virtually impossible without the right resources. I mean, well, I was talking to Rob Murphy the other night, the head coach at Eastern Michigan, and they had 10 scholarships of their 13 opened in April. So essentially, if you get to April and you don't have most of your roster filled, that's a problem. Yeah, I would say so. And yeah, and, and some of it, probably most of it, not their fault. Um, JUCOs and you get screwed up in a year where you got five or six scholarships available and you miss out on your first, second, first or second choices. And then you get down to C and D choices, which are, oh gosh, they might develop in three years, but Lord help us. Right. And then you get to back, back in the early IPFW days of, well, we might have a shot at option D. We don't know who E and F are yet. Hmm. And G said that he's just for anything. He's just going to go to school and pay his own way. <laughs> I mean, believe G- it or not, guys would legitimately say, hey, you know what? Uh, I think I'm just going to not play basketball anymore. <laughs> okay, so you don't, you don't want a scholarship? You, you don't want to come and just shoot some hoops and see if you like it again? Nope. Uh, and you know it's it's scheduling it's you know the 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 recruiting part i think is pretty easy when you're recruiting the kid i think it's you know just dealing with the politics and the, the the fluffed up stats and in many cases the lies that's okay but 
you know, the, then you got to deal with the, the parents and the parents are, or the, the, you know, I know, uh, Eric is a big Instagram guy. He's an influencer yeah. probably with his mustache what? and, uh, <laughs> um, I don't have a mustache. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It's just, just nonsense. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking Marv from home alone. <laughs> Daniel Stern. Yes. Uh, that's not Eric. Wrong. No. I got a bad picture of Eric in my yes. head. Marv from Home Alone. But the wet uh, bandit. But the, the 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 influencers, the people that have the 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 student athletes ear, and the things they'll do and say are uh, there's good ones, but there's a lot that'll do anything for their their children. So, Dane, I would not normally, even though I loved you as a player, I would not normally follow IPFW's uh, success or, or lack thereof because that's just not something I pay much attention to. However... They are affiliated with Purdue, so it right. kind of puts a stink on right. the whole program. No. However, no. during the time that you were the head coach there, I would go back to Bloomington regularly, once a year, and my uncle was friends with somebody who was good friends with you. I don't know if you're still good friends, but at the time you were. And he introduced me to this gentleman who I would have breakfast with when I would go back. This gentleman oh, no. is one of the first, maybe the first stat ranking guys that ever existed. Mr. Jeff Sagarin. Sagarin. Yes. One of my favorite people on earth. There you go. Also known as the Ox. The Ox. So Jeff Sagarin, for those who don't know, is he's pre-Ken Pomeroy, pre-all these, like, like modern-day stat sites. And SAG still does his thing. But SAG does yep. computer rankings, stat rankings for basketball teams going way back, and college football going way back. I mean, this guy's been doing it for a long time. He is a savant. He is a genius. He, you can tell him, you sit with him, you tell him what year you were born, or when your birthday is and what year you yep. were born. He'll tell you what day that was instantly. Yep. And Jeff Sagarin loved him some Dane Fife. And well, every time we got together, he would tell me how good, how good of a job you were doing. And when you look at the stats, you were there six years. You took over a program that four years earlier had been not in Division One. And every year you were there, you set or tied the record for most wins in Division One history. Your team, <laughs> your team got better. And in the Sagarin rankings, because I would follow it then, Every year you were moving up. Now, I always asked Jeff if he was just manipulating that because he wanted to position you to get the <laughs> He wouldn't do it. No, he, he wouldn't, wouldn't do, do it. it. But you did, Dane. I mean, you built a program there. How satisfying, gratifying was it after six years to be able to look back and go, wow, from this, like, no resources, challenging environment, you did build a real program and a program that was on the right trajectory. How, how gratifying was that? When I look back and think about as Blair is choking on, what are you choking on? Coffee? Water. Oh, I think she's just trying to interrupt me. Uh, fair enough. Well, t you can you can tell her we're getting close to the end. So Fort Wayne, um, you know, I, I always like to, I can't start without giving Mark Pope credit, who is the AD that had to do a lot of selling up there to bring in a 25-year-old video coordinator, former video <laughs> coordinator, GA from, from Indiana. And there were 
plenty of people up there that stepped forward and, and helped me um, for no reason. I mean, some of them wanted to, to help the local university. And, um, you know, Mike Wartell um, was the chancellor at the time. You know, he took a risk too. But when I look back and I think about, I, I hear the stories that Coach Izzo tells when he started out as a GA and, you know, just the things he'd have to do, the grunt work. And I, I think about, okay, that's that GA. I did, did all that. Nope. Didn't do that as an assistant per se. Didn't make $15,000 as an assistant back in 85, and, <laughs> you know, have Judd fire me uh, in front of the players. But I was, Wait, did Tom uh, Izzo that, get fired in front of the players? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Several times. Several <laughs> times. <laughs> okay. Oh, he's got some judge stories that are – that's back when we had an American, man. Those stories are <laughs> some of the best I've ever heard. And I'm sure if you can get Dockage uh, loose, he's probably got some Coach Knight stories. He told us some good suppressed, ones. Suppressed. Yeah. Suppressed back – back way back in that he's got a huge melon so there's going to be places that they haven't discovered yet you know that he's going to access some parts of his brain (laughs) that some of those things have been suppressed but you know getting out in the middle of um you know campus at fort wayne and begging students to come to a game and only to find out that they don't live in Fort Wayne. They live in uh, Manchester or Angola, and they live far, far away. It's, <laughs> it, it was a commuter campus. Wow. I mean, we had 12,000 students, and early on, most there were no dorms, and I think there's maybe 500, maybe 1,000 beds on campus now. Wow. And there were – it was all commuter, and – most of them worked jobs, you know, and, and so we're begging them to come to school, to come come to a game, and you know the 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 um, the um, Coliseum was it still is a huge building. I mean, it's eleven thousand seats, and it was great to sell recruit sell the recruits. <laughs> But we had to Photoshop uh, when concerts were there. We had to Photoshop <laughs> hockey team. We had to Photoshop uh, Mastodon colors. <laughs> was it Henry Lee Summer fans um, didn't wear Mastodon? No, no. They, they, uh, you know what? Believe it or not, it was hard enough to get people to spell it right. <laughs> All right. So, so Dane, you turn that program around. You turn it into something that Jeff Sagarin can really be proud of. And as a result, Ox. You, his name is Ox. The Ox. Ox was uh, Ox was all behind you. And as a result, you know, you have some quarters o- over time. You've got uh, uh, guys like Matt Painter, John Beeline, and even one Tom Crean come a calling, wanting you to be uh, their assistant. Why didn't you go back to Bloomington to be an assistant for Tom Crean? Well, first of all, you said I had some quarters. I was courting them. Oh, okay. All right. Your Wikipedia has been doctored then. <laughs> yeah, that, somebody needs to take that crap off there. Um, you know, I think uh, probably John Beeline, who 
my brother was obviously a played at Michigan and was plugged into them. I think he was doing radio at the time, and somehow that got connected when that job opened up. And um, you know, I wasn't desperate to get out of Fort Wayne. I was I was desperate to learn. Mm. Um, I felt like there was still something missing, and 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 there there was but um you know i'd always kept in contact with coach Izzo, and he would he had it mark uh mark montgomery takes the uh northern illinois job and in, in the spring of 11 and um i went into full attack mode uh, and but, but interviewed wait. for a couple jobs but wait dane dane we got to stop you because you kind of skirted Uh-oh. over, you skirted over our big question. Why not Uh-oh. come back to Indiana to be an assistant? Oh, well, I was never offered the job. Oh, is that true? Well, as I mentioned, I've known him for a long time. He recruited me out of high school. Kept in touch with him. With him, they beat us. Did the Great Alaska Shootout on a tip uh, my senior year. D Wade. Um, we talked about that too. Hmm. So. He asked to come speak at my golf outing, and he didn't didn't bat an eye. Immediately said, "Just raise about sixty thousand dollars for our program, which is just a huge deal for us." So you know, he he very helpful. And and when it time when it came time to um, to hire an assistant, eventually, I think as I was saying, as I talked about earlier too, he a lot of variables that go into hiring an assistant. There's a lot of things to look at. You know, the team dynamic, the staff dynamic is critical uh, as far as how it how it plugs in, how an assistant uh, relates to the rest of the staff. And then, you know, you want to be able to hire. In gave me a chance to, to go through the process, and I was really appreciative. And looking back, I, I'm not sure that I was ready to come back and be an assistant at Indiana at that time anyway. And it was, it was a mutual agreement and we remain good friends and he's still somewhat of a mentor, uh, to this day. And, you know, wife, Joni has always been great to me and his, and his kids and just good, good friends with the family. And so there was, there were no issues on my end. Got it. Well, you, timing is everything, and the timing was right for you to take a job at Michigan State, where you have been ever since, and uh, ha- have been part of just one of the, you know, premier, yeah, premier basketball programs in the country. How much have you learned? Because you talked about you wanting to learn. I just cannot imagine there's a better graduate school to go to than working under Tom Izzo for the last many years that you have? I would, I would say that if you broke it down in, in eras and you know, you, you could eighties, nineties by the decade or by the quarter century, I don't know, but there is not a better leader. He's the coach about players and, and people in general than, than coach Izzo. And as good as he is at teaching the game, 
I think the most important part about what makes Coach Izzo the best is his genuine care for other people. And he's he's always said, you know, he doesn't ever want to be accused of not he doesn't ever want to be accused of forgetting where he came from, which is a small town in the upper peninsula of Michigan. Uh, didn't grow up with, with money. And it was about people and being able to uh, be genuinely kind and, and compassionate for people. Oh, I think we lost Jeff. His players and his, and his former No, you didn't. Okay. I'm right here. <laughs> There's some real anger in there. <laughs> yeah. um, After the 37 times we have dropped this call, I get it. Dane, obviously you knew Coach Izzo before you took the job, but working as closely as you have with him has to have opened your eyes to things you may not have known or surprised you. What What is the most, if you had to put your finger on one thing that has been most surprising to you about learning from Coach Izzo and getting to know him that is something you did not know before you got there, what has that been? You know, and it's not about X's and O's. And you hear that it's not about X's and O's, it's the Johnny's and Joe's. And, well, you know what, I could get people to like me, and I can get people to play hard. I get in it. You know what, it's nonstop. And it's not just with, especially in college and probably high school. It takes real time, real man hours to do the work if you really want to make an impact on a many cases teenager or on a person on a student athlete there's a ton of things that go into the the process but what we've learned the most is that you have to dig in you've got to understand those that support the student athlete support the player and you got to dig in with them too and it's a it's around the clock job especially in today's day and age where they're reading social media, you know, not, not, not one newspaper opinion, but, but, but a thousand. Right. And most of us don't know the difference between Eric and, and Ward, you know, Eric's full of crap. Ward's Ward, you know, goes by the statue. <laughs> I'm a box score guy. You know me well. Eric, Eric says five shot like crap. Eric says, Ward, or Eric says five shot like crap. Ward says, Eric, he was six for eight. Yeah. Did you even watch the game? No. No, why no, watch it was on the my game? Phone. Yeah, it was on my phone. I got better. <laughs> I, I know what happened. I don't need to see it. All right. Look, we could yeah. talk. Yeah. It, it, oh. Hello. No, you didn't lose me. Oh, I'm no. here. Oh, good. Look. We could talk about how great Coach Izzo is for a long time, but nobody <laughs> listening wants to do that. So true. I don't want to do Let's it. Let's bring it back around to what we care about, your alma mater. How's our new coach doing, our relatively new coach? What's your honest assessment of Archie now that he's... Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tough, yeah, tough spot to put you. Let's go. No, it's not tough. I think he's doing an excellent job. I think that when you look at what he has, had to do with the Langford situation. You got to recruit them. And if you recruit them, you got to get them. If you don't recruit them, you're going to take heat. I thought they did a, a 
really good job handling the situation. It's hard to win with one and dones when you just have one of them or right. two of them. And especially when they're a guard because they can't just stand there and be tall and be close to the rim. You know, it's it's really hard. And, and Langford is a, was a great player for Indiana. And I say great, it's pretty exceptional for what he did as a freshman. However, there was no elite trait that he had. He was really a really good basketball or overwhelm the opponent. And so from, from a coach's perspective, now he's got a group where there's not the, the mass media attention of one and done. And it was nobody's fault. And we're, we're going to see, you know, what, what kind of ball coach that Archie Miller is, and I think he's a good ball coach, a very good ball coach. And that's the way I describe it. He's a ball coach. The guy loves to coach basketball. You know, you're not going to get the, the hype machine. You're not going to get the, the, the fluff. He likes to coach ball. Right. And, and, uh, I think he's going to get the kind of the, the players that he needs, and and I do think they'll they'll exhaust their their options in the in the in the state of Indiana, and it's it, it's going to be here pretty soon a, a really good time like the old days of, of this state with with the Boilers, the Hoosiers. You throw Butler in with Laval and and uh, yeah, you, know, you got Notre Dame, man, it's uh. It's going to be some fun times ahead. Uh, I want to ask you about uh, recruiting in the state of Indiana because obviously Michigan State has done very well uh, with coaches over there recruiting the state. Uh, and specifically, Trace Jackson Davis, a guy that I know Michigan State was after as well and was a kid that Archie made a priority the day that he got hired, I believe. Uh, he reached out to Trace. Uh, yeah. What's your take what was your take on Trace? As I assume you were part of that recruitment a little bit, and and what have you seen from him? What, what what did you guys like about him? And have you seen enough of him this year? Have you seen any of the Indiana games to give us your assessment of him? I know you haven't gotten into real scouting yet on on the IU team because you haven't played us yet. But yeah. any thoughts there? Yeah, well, I like watching the the team play. They they play like like the way we want to play. You know. Um, they've got some youngins that gotta that gotta fill in. I mean, you know, we've got some youngins too, believe it or not, and we've got two really good vets. And then Aaron Henry, who uh, was a freshman last year, Indiana kid. That oh, yeah, uh, we know you got him over changed. us. I it, know. Yeah. yeah. No, no. Well, we did. But yeah, you did. You won that <laughs> one, and we won well, Trace. His, 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 <laughs> Well, his role's changed, Aaron, so I'm just kind of trying to relate it back to Indiana where it takes time to get these kids, and it takes even more time now because they're all trained with the ball and, and really have to not only understand their role but then understand how to play something totally foreign to them, and that's without the ball because kids just don't really know how to play without the ball. Not their fault, but it's, it, 
It's a fact. Right. So Trace, a freshman's a freshman, but Trace is, um, you know, one of the things that he possesses is that size and athleticism. And he's been well coached. So, you know, he can always make an impact um, in the game. You know, you always worry about freshmen with fouls. And, um, no, that wasn't a uh, 72 uh, Chevy Nova trying to start. That was Blair clearing her throat. Yeah. But I think I think Trace is has been a major impact thus far to to Indiana, and it's uh, he's he's meeting the expectations that that we would have expected. Um, again, that always worried about freshmen middle of the year, especially in the the, the days of you know January. You know he ain't traveled up north yet. He right. He, he traveled to the Michigans. Well, he went to Madison, and that didn't go great. Yeah, he's only had one road game, truthfully. When the snow hits. Yeah. Well, let me ask you one right. thing going back to right. last. In the, in the middle of January and February with Minnesota and Michigan and Northwestern, that's see how he likes it then. <laughs> let, let me circle back to last so, season real quick because I, I figured this is something you wanted to bring up which was how Indiana beat Michigan State twice last year. I was just wondering, because yes. we were having not a great stretch of games uh, mm-hmm. for about 15 games, but what did what can we take? Because it's one of the few things we can hold on to from last year. Was it, was it something in Archie? Uh, is, was there something positive we can take going forward from last season and what you saw from the other bench? Like, hey – this team is going to take on this coach's personality as the years go forward, or did we just kind of play out of our mind for a couple of games because it was you guys and we knew we had to, or or did you see something within the team because of Archie that is going to be a problem for Big Ten teams going forward? You know what, Archie's, you know, Archie comes from a pedigree, you know, a family of really good coaches, and so you know, that's first, you know, you can't, you can't, uh, accuse the guy of not knowing how to coach. Uh, and I'm not saying you are, but one can't accuse the guy of not knowing how to coach by, by osmosis. He knows how to coach, but he's proven it. Um, you know, at Dayton, he's proven it as an assistant. Um, he's proven that he can get talent. He's proven that he can develop talent. Um, you know, the stars really have to align and it is a new program and it is a conglomerate, you know, and to, to prepare somebody from going to anywhere to, from going from anywhere to Indiana under the circumstances is, is almost inhumane to, to think that somebody could be remotely prepared. And, um, the the aspect of beating us twice you know that is a phenomenon that that happens it was a tough matchup for us and whatever they did and and i'm not going to tell you what they did (laughs) what they did caused us problems and but wait 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 wait, dean sorry wait i gotta stop you 
I get why you're not going to tell us what they did, but but I think this is what what's important for us as fans. To me, that means Archie did something different against you than we t- typically do in other games. And from the naked eye, I'm just watching the games and looking at the score, so I don't really know. But is it fair to say that he did do something different? He he found something that worked for those two games. It may not work going forward, but. From from a coaching well, perspective, they they somehow found a way to have at home. They found a way to have Nick go Nick Ward go one for ten from the three for, free throw line. <laughs> yeah, so well, let's we start did, with that. We did lead the country Danny last year Green. in free throw percentage for the opponent. By the way, we led the country. Great free throw um, defense. Just telling you that. Fitzner, Fitzner hadn't hit a shot in what was it three years, and then <laughs> hit a three. I think he hit two threes against us. And well, Justin so Smith. They, I, Justin I guess Smith. they could be accused of doing that. Justin Smith. Justin Smith at home hits three. He's he goes three for four or whatever. And uh, you know what? There's there's so many things we could point to. Um, We could point to the stats. We could point to. um, You know what? They they got a really good team coming in. We got nothing to lose. Right. Or they could point to. We could point to. You know what? This team. We could point to. uh, Like like when Nick. Ward got hurt for us. Um, other people had to step up, and as a result, we got better. And you could point to, you know, and the reason was is every time our wings caught the ball or our guards, Nick Ward's big butt was anchored in the post, and you had to, you, you had to throw it to him. And I think it was the right decision. However, you know, other guys kind of took the back seat. Hmm. And, and, you know, so when you, and by no means am I blaming anything on Romeo, but when you have a guy like Romeo, you know, you, you, and you're a, you're kind of a, a pleaser, a guy that wants to do right. Like, I got to get this guy the ball. I got to get this guy the ball. And, you know, that's hard to play that way. And I do think that you're seeing more cohesion. Most of it is they're, they're older, but. The other part is they're getting more guys that know how to play, that that are learning this. He's leaving Fort Wayne. Needs to get done to to not only win at Indiana but win in this league. Wait, Dane, we lost you. You were saying that they're getting more guys that know the system. Can you start that again? They're getting more guys that know how to play, and they're getting veterans now that can teach little nuances of the, not just the Indiana basket, not just Archie system, but the, how to win in the big Ten, and then on to the, you know, eventually the tournament. And it's it, it, people, people want to say it's three years, but it's not. What is it? Five. It depends on, well, it just depends on, I'll take, it depends on the, um, the situation, like like the state of the program, you know, this this Bob Knight monstrosity is is hard to overcome, and it can not only demoralize a staff. Forget about the staff; it could it could demoralize a, a team, a morale. I mean, all that stuff plays a role. And you can do everything right, you can get a ton of great players, and somehow still lose. I mean, right. if if talent wins out. Then, then Kentucky and Duke win every year, mm, right? You know, and so 
there's just so many different things that come into play. It's it's not that Archie did something way different to beat Michigan State and then was was you know not doing the right things to beat the other teams that he right. lost to. Right. Um, because you you got to get the right mix. You got to say the right things. You got to have a culture, especially in this league. It, it's just it, there's so many different things. And then you got to get a little lucky. You got to get very lucky. Okay, Dane, we're hopefully going to get lucky and have one good stretch where you can answer my last question without interruption. What is your dream head coaching job? I would say this. Um, you know what? I've I I grew up around two programs that I've always loved. I loved Michigan because my dad played there, my brother played there, and I love Indiana. Um, and I love now, you know, I love Michigan State. Um, but I'd like a chance at any of those. I really would, but it's not the, I'm I'm not desperate for it. I'm not going to do things that compromise, you know, what, what the things that, that matter in my life. But, you know, I would, I would like a chance. I'd like a chance to, with the resources and the, um, the access to the, to the talent to win a national championship as a head coach. But uh, I'm not sure. I, you know, when I first started out, I of course wanted to make, make a living, earn a living, make money at, at the game. But you know, we get older like you guys <laughs> and I'm not that old, but I just, the, the more, you, the older you get, the, the more you realize that, I don't know that today, especially today, just the way it's so scrutinized, you know, the head coach is held accountable as if he's, he's committing the crime. If a, if a student athlete gets a, commits a crime, I mean, think about that. If I have a, if I'm a head coach and I have a player go steal a car, that's 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 the head coach that's held accountable too. That's that's a slippery slope. So I, I don't know, guys. That's that's tough. You know, I, I do want to be a head coach again, for sure. I'm just not sure. It's got to be the right situation. Do I think I can coach in any of those places? Yes, as the head coach, but. It's got to be the right situation. Uh, would I pass it up? No, I wouldn't. Right. But uh, not at this point. But, you know, I, I heard Star Wars was calling Eric. <laughs> and he said no. He said no. Wasn't wasn't interested. Um, Dane, you know, our podcast is all about looking, mostly about looking back at the stories of the people that helped build the Indiana program to where it is. We like... We, we love going down memory lane and talking about the past. But uh, it seems appropriate now since this podcast with you has lasted longer than your career at Indiana for you to, <laughs> for you to recap how you think this podcast has gone with us. What, how would you assess this as part of your basketball history? 
You know what? I feel like, honestly, um, I know you guys like I've known you for 20 years. <laughs> well, it's been close. It's felt that yeah, way. For sure. Yeah, but I, I, uh, I think there's just the lingo, the, 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 we share the same or similar memories. You know, it's just, it is a unique, <laughs> Bloomington's a unique place. Indiana's, you know, a unique university. But the basketball program, I mean, it's like, you know, like it's it's everybody's. It's not just Isaiah's or Steve's or Quinn's or Scott or Bob's. It's or Harris Muyazinovich's. Huh? It's not Harris Muyazinovich's. Yeah, it's everybody's. It's, everybody's. it's yours. Yep. You know, you go back and there's there's nothing. Honestly, there's you know you. My grandpa was a World War II vet, and, uh, you know, they'd meet up at the VFW, and they'd just talk and yap and gossip, and, uh, you know, that's that's really, <laughs> that's, how I, that's how I see myself and when I get your guys' age. Uh, <laughs> just talk about in the good old In two years, days Dane, and, in two years, that's where you see yourself. <laughs> Oh, Ward had to clarify. Yeah, I know. He couldn't let the joke. He couldn't let the joke sit. No, come on, Ward. No, but that's that's kind of what what I what I like. I like to come back to Indiana to not necessarily talk about myself, but just talk about like the the stories. Like I remember when you know Jay Edwards hit the shot against Michigan, or just things like that. To just hear those old stories because it's uh, you know still when I was you know, a 10 year old or a seven year old, that's what I dreamed about, you right. know, and, and that's, you know, like I think probably Ward, you know, I'd be yeah, interesting to hear what you, you dreamt about, like maybe uh, I'll quail you, hunting or something. Yeah. I'll <laughs> tell you what, in the wilds of Peru, Indiana, when we weren't dreaming about growing up and being a part of the circus, yeah, yes. The bearded lady. Yep, yep. When that wasn't the, the front of my mind, I was in the driveway at about four foot eight and, you know, yep. 85 pounds, yep. uh, taking shots on my eight foot adjustable gorilla rim, thinking if I put up enough of these, I'll get to go play for Coach Knight. And I didn't realize how big of a deal genetics was at the time. <laughs> yes. I thought hard yes. work could overcome genetics. Yes. Uh, but those yep. were the dreams. We, we had those dreams. Yeah. I, I had. No, it was yeah. it was Purdue or Indiana. Wait, what? What? What the hell are you talking per about? Per oh. Purdue or Indiana? No, it oh. wasn't Purdue. No. What are you talking yeah. about? But, Jeez, and and then, you know what? In my mouth. No, it's great stuff. <laughs> and, and that's. I didn't say anything, Reagan. That, that's the thing. Even Reagan that, knows you screwed up saying that. Yeah, yeah. Reagan's accusing me of um, sabotaging her ability to hold the dog for the rest of the trip. <laughs> Blair's in the tank, by the way. I, I, I enter this car cautiously. But you know what? Those are the stories, though, believe it or not, Ward. Is, it, those are the stories that, uh, personally, that I, I like to hear. You know? Like, if we're just talking about indiana those are neat stories to me you know even even we got a we got a guy that had no chance but he was dreaming the same dream as as 
as I had, and I got to live it more or less, but I kind of feel like, you know, we share the same uh, things. I, I got to live it and play it, and you got to ride the wave with us. 100%. Well, Dane, you didn't just live it and do it. You embody just everything that we love about Indiana basketball. It is why, after we released the first uh, part of the saga of your podcast, I have been hit up with more messages, <laughs> more texts, more DMs from people who listen to it, who loved you as a player, love following you as a coach, hate that you wear green. Uh, but but you, you left a mark on Indiana basketball. And while there may not be a sixth banner that hangs in the hall, what, what you did at Indiana and, and the way you played and the way you went about it, and it, it has left a mark that is just as permanent as a sixth banner would be. And these last, you know, 40, 45 hours that we've got to spend with you <laughs> have been, uh, they've been really, they've been really incredible, Dane. I, I thank you for being so honest with us about your, the struggles that you had uh, in your career. You've been open and honest with us about your, your whole career pre, post and post. And it's just been amazing to listen to you talk about your love of Indiana, what it meant to you, because you have meant so much to so many of us. So thank you well, so I, much, Dane. I appreciate that. And that is something that, you know, like it's really important to me. And I know it. And, and it, this is the other part, and I'll be quick. But the fact that you guys are from an era that had so much success and you were probably as upset as anyone was when when and you're probably upset every time they don't play well or oh yeah we're, we're, up, that's, we're upset that's when okay. they win they're we're 11 and when, <laughs> they're 11 and 1 and we keep that's bitching more normal. yeah we're 11 yeah, and 1 but, and i am angry <laughs> but what you haven't done is you haven't abandoned and, oh, no. and i feel like there's there's a lot of fans that would have called themselves and i, and I do get those kinds of people well I used to watch every, I used to watch you guys all the time when Coach Knight was there. Yeah. And, and that's okay if you were a fan of Coach Knight's teams. I mean, I was. But there's there there is more to it. If you really if you really if you really love the program, if you really love Indiana basketball, there's a lot more to it. Totally. And I think you guys Do anything? You know, you guys are a you guys are a perfect um, connection or a perfect uh, example of what I deem, you know, a real Indiana basketball fan because you guys uh, have stuck stuck with the program for a long time as uh, Blair. Yeah, she does not seem happy right now. Does not care that I'm still on the phone with you guys. <laughs> she thinks it's more important to find out whether I want something from the DeBrand's chocolate place like or not. I now a part of our family. Yeah. have been with them for so many days. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, now. Blair, can you just pick me up a bag of Funyuns and a Rocky Road cluster and we'll be good? DeBrand's chocolate. Eric wants Funyuns. Rocky Road no, we're at DeBrand's Chocolate in Fort Wayne. You've got to right, Google that. How about a turtle? Mom, a turtle? Like a turtle. Like a turtle. Oh. No, they've got great pretzel rods that are 
caramel and chocolate. It's, it's to die for. I'll take a pretzel wrap. Sure. <laughs> She's probably got some Funyuns down in between her seats. Yeah. She does like Funyuns. Nice. Well, well, Dane, this seems like the perfect time to end this freaking podcast. <laughs> now I got to go back and officiate. Yep. Yep. Put on the zebra stripes for a few, pal. Dane, you are the man. We thank you, uh, and I'm still going to hit you up on text and really bother you for the next, uh, you know, 20, Anytime, boys. I'm coming out to L.A. at some point. Come on. Let us know. We'll get together. You can come to the garage. <laughs> I was going to say, it's just we can just stay right in the garage. <laughs> Dane, good luck on the rest of the season, except for when you play Indiana, and uh, really look forward to meeting you face-to-face someday soon. Let me know when you guys come back home. We will. All right, man. We did it. It's over. It's it's. You know how? Um, I hope everyone takes this the right way. I really do. But you know how people talk about like the end of college or the end of like a big project that you work on. You mm-hmm. hear the term. It's bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Because it's bitter that it's over. Right. But it's sweet that it's over and you get to move on to something else. There's no bitterness. Just sweet. It's over. It's just sweet. It's sweet. Well, because, again, we didn't even know up until, like, three quarters of the way through this if we were going to be able to say it's over. Yeah, you guys don't realize, but three quarters of the way through this, we had to take a big pause because Dane and the Griswolds were in, in Angola, World. Michigan, <laughs> with no reception. Is Angola in Michigan? No, that's just outside Fort Wayne. Oh, okay, sorry. Angola, Indiana. And uh, and there was wait, just no reception. Let me double check that. Oh wait, we're I, we're, we're doing a little uh, fact checking on Angola because where Wrecker Wrecker might have been from Angola. Somebody will correct me. That that sound you hear is not a revolver cocking. Definitely not <laughs> an old school cowboy. Yeah, okay. Angola is is basically a suburb of uh, Fort Wayne. Of Fort Wayne, a, a suburb with terrible phone reception. Because I did go see Luke Recker play in high school at the Fort Wayne Coliseum when um, I believe his Angola team, and I don't, I don't think that was necessarily his high school. You looking up his high school? Yeah, I'll look it up real quick. Um, it's funny because I usually know where all the high schools of Indiana players were, but when you leave Indiana, it's like my mind just shuts down, shuts it down, like yeah. gets rid of it. It's DeKalb. I believe DeKalb. he went to DeKalb. Yes, yeah, DeKalb. which is maybe he's playing. Anyway, who cares? Anyway, he left. Fuck look, that guy. I, I want to say this about Dane Vyth. And I don't, I hope this doesn't come across as being insulting to Archie because I love Archie and I want nothing but the best for Archie. But I wish there were multiple universes that I could inhabit at the same time and Dane Fife could be the head coach of Indiana at one of them. Across the Hoosierverse? Yes, across the Hoosierverse. Yeah. I just No, I'm with you. He gets everything that we want you to get if you're a representative or a steward of Indiana University. What I want is a cage match, a legitimate cage match between Dane and Michael Lewis. Oh, to see who wins? Yeah. yeah. Again, Archie's it's almost over want, here. It's almost like you want co-coaches. But also, here's the thing that you get with Dane that you wouldn't get with Michael. 
the press conferences. It's true. I mean, guys, unbridled insanity. The press conferences, the quotes that he'd he be, would he he'd would be say crazy eating, shit while eating chips. He'd just be <laughs> eating cookies and chips. Blair would be next to him at the press conference, yelling at him. I mean, it would be instead would of be, a ten-minute press conference with the countdown clock, it would be. An hour and 17 minutes. Yeah. I mean, you, it would be the only press conference in college basketball where the reporters leave they just before it's to, over. They start to trickle I got out. A, I got a deadline. <laughs> yeah. I got to print this thing. Um, it was, uh, I just love him. I mean, I, I have loved, I do feel like we've gotten to know him a little bit over the last couple months. I certainly hope so. <laughs> and I just, I just love him. I, I love how honest he is about still his allegiance to Indiana, how much he loves it. And no, that's it. That's important because I I do think, and we've talked about this with other people like Michael Lewis who go on and they're getting a paycheck from another university. And it's like, are you, are you still an Indiana fan? I want that. That's just the child in me. And then you could hear in Dane relating to my story of growing up in the driveway, dreaming of playing for coach Knight, that, that, that's all still very real and it's not just sentimental um garbage of fans but even when he's played and coached at the highest levels for his entire adult life he still clings to that sentimentality which is a huge part of what being part of this fan base is totally uh it's there's just so many layers to dane because of his experience as a player what he went through as a player as a graduate assistant coach there, coming back and being part of that, then exploring the options of being an assistant at Indiana and it not working out for a variety of reasons, watching other head coaches get hired at Indiana and still admitting that, you know, a dream head coaching job for him is one of these three places that he's that have really shaped him as a as a basketball person. But also like, hey, it's not all you know, gumdrops and ice cream at those places. Right. You're you yes. I would like the opportunity at one of those three places. And I wouldn't pass it up. But also, he's making a nice living now. He can take his family, you know, down to Kokomo for the holiday. And And it's not on him when a player does something wrong. Yeah. That was interesting when he talked about that the pressure on a head coach nowadays that you suffer the responsibility of an 18, 19 year old kid making a mistake. Well, and just in general, being the one in charge, like it's exhausting. And I, take my turns doing that but i also like to be able to step away from it and just be a part of the team right you know and and there's a great relief in that like these are my primary responsibilities and and the big picture somebody else is thinking about that for right now so to be able to make a a nice living take care of your family be a part of something big and special but not have it all on you 24 7 there's an appeal for sure but in the end, that competitive spirit that drives Dane through so much of his life, you know he wants the he, shot. He wants He it. wants the shot. I hope he will get it. He yeah. will get it. But it's it. like it's like why, you know, why these guys that, that are having like a good thing somewhere leave for that quote unquote bigger job. John Beeline. Yeah. I mean they they just need that when you're driven like that, you know. You need that next thing. You want that next thing. Can I prove it at that level? Yeah. And and I think Dane's got that in him and wants the shot to prove it. But I think you're right. Like, when you're able to take a step back, you go, Jesus, maybe it's not all that it's cracked up to be. But when put in front of you, I think he at least has the perspective to go, I'm not going to pass it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like I said, I 
I just hope there's a world at which we get to see that at some point. But, yeah, but the, not at the expense of Archie yeah, being the, the head coach. The problem is we want to grow old with Archie. We want to win some championships yeah. with Archie. And, you know, if Archie ends up being that good and the program becomes that strong, it will be okay for there to be a great Dane Fife team up in Michigan or Michigan State. You know, like, because like, I would yeah. hate for for one of the Michigan schools to get Dane and then he just whips our ass for years to come. All right, but how about this plan? Archie, for the next 10 years, wins a couple national championships. Love it. Just says, look, and he gets to the end of that. He goes, listen, it's been 15 years since I've been at Indiana. I've smiled four times. <laughs> and two of them were laughing at Eric at a basketball camp. Uh, I got to retire because I need to spend time with Morgan and the kids, the kid. And uh, I just want to be with my family. God bless you, Indiana. Dane, take over. <laughs> <laughs> then Dane yeah, wins two yeah, in the next yeah, yeah, 10 yeah. years. Yeah, and then Michael Lewis at the ripe age of like 55 takes over. Yep, and he gets two and is, well, yeah. we're in our 60s. That's great. And we die together, you and I, in a hospital. It's like Titanic. In like early April. Spooning in a bed right as our last Michael Lewis-led championship team wins. Exactly. The whole so thing. 2000, I don't know, let's call it 40. Okay. Yeah, we win our last championship. Well, I'm still pretty no, young. Yeah, it's Make it years. like 2060. Okay, 2060, yeah. early April. We win a title with Michael Lewis. Archie and Dane present him the trophy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Coach Knight is wheeled in. <laughs> Coach Knight at 130 years old <laughs> is wheeled in. <laughs> uh, tells everybody, uh, all the critics, to kiss his ass. <laughs> and we go away into the sunset the yeah. way... That we should. Yeah, no, then we're in, instead of like the Titanic where we're greeted by Jack at this, like the stairwell, it's all, all the coaches and all the great players greeting us at Assembly Hall. I'm going to say something right now. Okay. That you're not going to like. Okay. I've never seen Titanic. Oh, I don't mind you. Oh, okay, that. good. I, my respect for you actually just increased. <laughs> yeah, I spoiled it a little bit. I, I know they die at the end, right? They do, but then there's this heaven sequence where she goes. Are gets, you being serious right now? There's yeah. a there's an afterlife sequence in the movie oh, Titanic. Yeah, yeah, because it's all set in this the framework of uh, Kate Winslet's character is like a hundred years old. And right, she's, but like telling the story of it. Right. right. So then at the very end of that, she has like this precious jewel that's kind of right. been like, you know, the, the the rosebud of the movie. She tosses it into the ocean. She dies. And then you see her sort of going to heaven, being meted, met by young Leo. And at, a, at 100, she takes this jewel that connected her to her whole life with yep. Leo or whatever. Yeah. And she throws it? Yeah. Does she have kids? I... I don't remember that. Who throws that into the ocean? Yeah, it's 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 really a a, a dog move. You know, just that even is just stupid. Give it to somebody. Yeah, it could have done a lot of good in the world. Oh man! Right. Anyway, terrible movie. Uh, I love Dane. I love Indiana University. We've said this before. My love of Indiana has increased. I didn't know that was possible, but it has increased because of talking to people like Dane and Michael Lewis. And Tom Coverdale and Jared Jeffries and Moye and I, I don't want to leave anybody out. Everybody that we have talked to on this podcast makes me love the thing that we love more than anything more. Yeah. And I get excited for each conversation because I know at the end of it, I'm going to get something more 
that makes me love it more. It's 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 a deeper love. It's a deeper appreciation. And as I go through editing this, all of that will wither, <laughs> and I'll be filled with hate and rage. But then when we get to share it with the world, the, yeah. then all that will be so restored. So please leave us comments because we need them on this one. Ward definitely <laughs> needs them after editing this. You can, as always, follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics. For the hysterics, no E, no I, but the sometimes, sometimes Y. Uh, you can email us, but nobody emails us, so I'm just going to stop saying that. Yeah, forget just it. Just tweet us, and you can DM me, and I respond. I try to respond to every DM uh, and every tweet. Just slide into his DMs. He'll slide up in there. Uh, thank you to Dane. Thank you to Dane's family for thank giving you Blair. him us. Blair, yes, thank you, Blair. Um, how much of the Blair stuff are we going to keep in? I will keep as much as possible. <laughs> She's dynamite. I think we should have spent more time with Blair. Yeah, well... We'll see. I don't know if Blair wants to spend more time with us. I'm sure she does. But that couldn't have been better way to end it. That while we're saying like our heartfelt oh. thank yous to Dane. Oh, and he was saying them to us yes. too. He's and Blair be... just comes in. What do you want? <laughs> what can I get you from the chocolate place? Do you want to get out? I don't know how much of that you guys can hear, but that's what we heard as it was happening. And you just hear Dane like trying to stay on course. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's like, "Listen, you guys are Indiana fans. I'll be in in a minute. You guys." <laughs> have done great <laughs> we hope you guys enjoyed it half as much as we did and we'll uh we'll see you here sometime soon oh what merry christmas merry christmas i can't believe we didn't do and, that in the intro and happy hanukkah buddy thank you but merry christmas to all the hoosiers out there yeah and happy hanukkah and ha thank you very much and and uh i guess we'll have something for them by new year's yeah, we got to figure out the New Year's Eve episode. I'm telling you what, this might be two Dane episodes right here. No, it can't be. Can't be. <laughs> Just get it done. Okay. Get bye. it done. Bye. Bye bye. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.